Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, this is a big bonus episode, Conrad. I'm kind of excited because I get to revisit 1992 year in the WWE that I was only there for a couple of months. So it's pretty damn cool for me, as a matter of fact. Feeling good. Well, I'm excited about it because this is something that a lot of people thought we could never do. We're going to cover a show where Bruce wasn't there, but it's one of the most iconic shows of all time. The Royal Rumble 1992. And I know what you're thinking. Well, if he's not there, why are you watching it? Well, for the same reason that you listen to podcasts about WrestleMania this last year with hosts who weren't there. Uh, the difference being here, Bruce actually was involved with a lot of this talent before and after. And this will be uh, a fun experiment of sorts. And if you dig it, we're going to try to bring you some more because there's lots of other shows that Bruce missed. He missed WrestleMania 8. He missed Survivor Series 91. He missed Tuesday in Texas. He missed SummerSlam 91. Uh, he missed uh, SummerSlam 92. So we've got plenty of time. Now, what was the word that Vince used? He didn't say fire. What was I was word? on hiatus. There you go. He was on hiatus. hiatus. Oh, God damn it. You were fired. Just took a little hiatus. So hopefully we'll get to bring you those shows in the future. So if your next question was going to be, when do you cover SummerSlam 92? We don't know yet, but if this goes well, we will give you an option to get this bonus show. I want to thank everybody who subscribed to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle because by subscribing, we reached our milestone goal and uh, we brought you a bonus show. And so YouTube is getting this show well before anyone else. I'm not going to say it's exclusive forever. But you got to hear it way in advance, and we really appreciate you being here. Bruce, can we start thinking about what the next milestone might be, or is it too early? I think it's a little bit too early, and let, let's give it let's give it a couple of weeks, let it sink in, and let's see how this how this particular show does. And then that'll help kind of get us a second milestone, and we'll go on. But you know what? If they just tell their friends to subscribe then we'll look at it in its building and we see a lot of groundswell there. It may come a whole hell of a lot faster than everybody thinks. I want to go ahead and mention too, that, uh, we also have a podcast in case you're just listening to us on YouTube, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard is a podcast that's available everywhere. You enjoy your podcast. And I feel like I take that for granted sometimes, but we'd like for you to subscribe on iTunes or Google play or tune in or stitcher or Spotify or literally anywhere. Hit the subscribe button. Please leave us a review and, you know, five stars is something Bruce doesn't normally like, but we make an exception when it comes to writing our show. And of course you can check us out on the WWE network, at least for now on Wednesdays. I say for now because, well, you never know, but that show is called something else to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard every Wednesday on demand. It's not on the regular schedule on WWE network. Uh, but you do need the WWE network to get the full benefit of what we're about to do. It's the Royal rumble from 1992. This of course goes down on January 19th and, uh, we're going to cover it in long form here because it's a watch along. So fire up your WWE network, hit your mute button. And, uh, Bruce, if you'll give us a countdown, everybody will know when to press play. And I think you're going to say one, two, three play. Is that right? I'm going to say exactly that. I'm going to say one, two, three, play. And the next time I do it, I'm going to say, here we go. One, two, three, play. And we'll be ready to do it. So are you ready? Well, it's worth mentioning. You need to let the disclaimer run ahead of it. So it's going to give you a already, commercial. Yeah, good, and it's you. going to give you a rating and the whole deal. Now we're in the actual show and your clock should be at zero colon zero zero. 
So if you're all zeroed out, we're ready for the countdown, Mr. Pritchard. All right, guys, this one is for real. So ready? One, two, three, go. It's the Royal Rumble with Jake the Snake Roberts, the Barbarian, the model Rick Martell, the Berserker, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jerry Sags, the Repo Man, Sergeant Slaughter, the alleged real world champion, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, Hercules, Mustafa, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, Skinner, the British Bulldog, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, Haku, Shawn Michaels, the Warlord, El Matador, Sid Justice, IRS Nikolai Volkov, the Texas Tornado, Virgil, The Undertaker, The Big Boss Man, Greg The Hammer Valentine, The Superfly, and Hulk Hogan. It's the Royal Rumble. It's time to rumble. It's time for the Royal Rumble. Thank you for that. We're in Albany, New York at the Knickerbocker arena. And what a crowd they have here. Of course, gorilla is probably saying they're jam packed or some such. Uh, this is uh, a show that we really can't do justice. I'm glad that it won because it's what you fans voted for on YouTube, but really, and truly you need to watch this with Bobby, the brain Heenan's commentary. Do you not Bruce? Uh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I wrote down a lot of Bobby's commentary in this. So hopefully I could try and recreate some of the gems of the brain, but Bobby was positively on his game without a doubt if you were ever going to listen to one bobby heenan commentary show it's the royal rumble 1992 yeah it's a really hard show for us to even compete with so we're not going to try we're going to try to bring you some other news and notes and just have a dialogue about the state of wrestling at the time and maybe bruce can drop some knowledge on us here about some of the guys in particular but this is probably everybody's favorite royal rumble to me it comes down to this one in 1997 would you agree with that I actually would agree with that. And I was a little skeptical when I started watching it going, you know, I remembered it a little bit differently, but as it got going, I just start, I, ca- I started calling spots. And when I'm calling spots in a Royal rumble, I'm going to pat myself on the back. Then, you know, it gots to be good. Just saying Howard, the Fink Finkel is calling the, um, the action here. And one of the things I really appreciated about Howard Finkel is you guys just started calling him the Fink was, was, uh, Vince really big on giving everybody sort of nicknames here, gorilla, the Fink weasel. It feels like everybody had a, I mean, even Gene Okerlund is mean Gene. Everybody has some sort of name at the time. Well, no, it was just, that's what we called him. We called him the Fink and, and. So it just kind of carried over to TV eventually. And uh, kind of like we call these guys, the Orient Express. It's a Paul Diamond under the mask with one of the most underrated workers ever. Pat Tanaka is his tag team partner. And Pat was Duke Kayamuka's son, who one of the greatest, uh, just the old timers from the 50s and 60s. And a new foundation. Yes. All right. I like their theme music, but what the fuck are they wearing? 
Uh, it looks like that there was a sale at the Yellow Cab Company, and they just picked up some of the some of the old uniforms there. Fuck, I had to listen. Awful. God, you're gonna love this. I had to listen to this again because I wrote down at first that they were the new high energy, but it was actually the new foundation, as in the new heart foundation. Listen, new high energy, new new foundation. Either way. Not good. I, I don't know what's going on with these outfit here. This is, are these the worst tag team outfits of the era? Did anybody have it worse than these guys? Well, I, I think Bobby Heenan had the, the best, the best line of all. So he goes, wow. He goes, did Nightheart no one just find out about this match? Because it looks like they just woke up. What are you talking about brain? He says, well, they still got their jammies on. Yeah, I mean, so, I can forgive the pants because they look like Sabu's pants a little bit, like an independent Sabu. Um, however, these jackets, man, the headbands, it's hard for me to imagine Owen Hart putting on that headband on that jacket and being looking in the mirror and be like, okay, I'm ready. You know, the funny thing about it was I remember going back with Owen and the Coco Beware stuff that Owen liked the pants look. He, he liked this look. So... There you go. Well, they're almost like MC hammer pants too, which is really popular at the time. So I guess I can get behind. Talk to us about Paul diamond. He's the guy that we don't talk about a lot here on the program. Well, Paul diamond broke in and I want to say he broke in around the same time as Shawn Michaels in San Antonio. Paul was a great tag team wrestler. Paul was a hell of a worker, uh, back in his day. It just, for whatever reason, that personality, you know, that that it factor, that one missing piece. I think there was always just something missing with Paul. But in the ring, he was tremendous and could do it all. Let's talk about what's going on uh, in the state of the business around this time. I feel like we should mention this is around the same time that Jesse Ventura filed a lawsuit against Vince McMahon, saying that the many pay-per-views and Coliseum videotapes that had his commentary on it were sold without any written agreement in place. And ultimately he wins the lawsuit or at least settles for a large sum of money. How did you hear about it? And did this set a precedent in wrestling? Well, I'll tell you a funny story about how I first heard about the lawsuit. We were in green Bay, Wisconsin and Vince's office. It was a locker room where you walked into the locker room. There was a little bit of a hallway and a side like another smaller dressing room. And then in the back was the big dressing room. That's where Vince's office was. I was in the smaller dressing room getting changed into my brother love stuff. When Jesse walked in and Jesse came in and he and Vince got into an argument. And I remember having to sit in the little small dressing room through the whole thing because I didn't want to come out so that they would know that I was there the whole time. And I just sat in there the whole time, just praying, looking at my watch going, God, would you guys finish up so I could get the hell out of here? And, uh, they finally finished up and I got out, but I pretended like I didn't hear anything. And Jesse, Jesse was, you know, just that, I mean, it wasn't a heated argument, uh, but it was Jesse being hot saying I should get paid for this. And Vince having different feeling, didn't think that he should. Let me mention around here that Meltzer wrote, quote, got a copy of the current WWF death chart. So if you're interested, here's how the office ranks the guys, baby faces, Hulk, Macho Man, Sid Justice, Piper, Bret Hart, Boss Man, Virgil, Janetti, Tornado, Bulldog, El Matador, Valentine, Chavis, Walker, uh, heels, 
Flair, Undertaker, Snake, DiBiase, IRS, Mountie, Michaels, Repo Man, Berserker, Skinner, Warlord, Cato, Hercules. Face tag teams, LOD, Slaughter and Duggan, New Foundation, Bushwhackers. Heel tag teams, Natural Disasters, Nasty Boys, Beverly Brothers. I find this interesting for a few reasons. One, I find it really hard to believe that in this era, you guys walk around the office with a list of Here's our top guys in order. No, that, that, and, and again, that's where, you know, an idiot gets a piece of paper and tries to figure out what it is. It was nothing more than a list of talent that Howard Finkel put together and that Howard Finkel put on paper so that they could go through. When you're booking, you have a list of all your talent. You scratch through it when you book someone so you know who's booked and who isn't booked. That's its purpose. List your talent. The idea that Virgil is somehow more valuable to the company than Bulldog and Tornado made me laugh. Um, it, because he wasn't. And it, it was never meant to be that way in any way, shape, or form. It's also written, um, around this time, Elizabeth wasn't going to be on the road, even after being advertised. And Meltzer says he has no idea why, but then eventually, a few weeks later, reports that it was as simple as she was tired of the road. Do you remember hearing about that, that she was just sort of burnt out and wanted to stay home? Well, you know, Randy Savage was one of the one of the folks I did keep in touch with, and that was it. She just was she was burnt. And I think they both were really burnt during this time. But yeah, Liz was burnt being on the road and wanted some time just to stay home. Around this same time it was reported in the Observer that Chris Chavis was coming in as a babyface named Tatanka, and Charles Wright, aka Soul Taker, was coming in as Papa Shanga. While Latin Fury got a tryout, of course, Latin Fury was Conan in Mexico. So business may be trending down here by early 92, but man, this is some legendary talent trying to come in here, isn't it? <coughs> Pardon me. Yes, definitely. And it was also during this time that uh, Shango was being speculated to come in and Undertaker was pitching for me to be a manager as Brother Love. Of Papa Shango. Obviously, that kind of fell on deaf ears, but a little inside info for you there. That would have been kind of fun to think about. A brother love with a Papa Shango. I think it would have been more fun, brother love with the Godfather, don't you? Oh, that would have been hilarious. Pimping ain't easy, dog. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Mr. Godfather, you have got to stop pimping these hoes and show them some more love. And just because I loved you last night doesn't mean I like you. Or that I'm going to pay. Shouldn't men of the cloth get a discount? Yeah, that big bastard in the ring right now needs a discount on there. What the fuck is this? Good big rhino bastard. Oh, what the hell? How about the double headbutt spot there from Anvil? (laughs) <laughs> you know the one thing i've noticed about this match is 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 owen all over the place and everybody else bumping all over the place uh jim comes in does a couple spots and he's out who's who's the smart one in this group it big rhino is the bastard comes in does a couple things gets paid the same fuck Stu kind of Stu kind of morphed into triple h there for a minute yeah the big bastard what the fuck i don't know This is, um, I got to tell you, here's my hot take. I've been promising on Twitter. This show sucks. Which one? This whole fucking show. 
Like I enjoy the Royal Rumble 92, but it's got to be with Bobby's commentary. But if you're watching at home right now, we're ruining this show. I mean, you've got 19 fucking irrelevant tag matches. And then you've got a, a pretty decent little moment for Piper in a minute. And then the main event where, I mean, it's all right, I guess, but Bobby, the brain Heenan makes it to me. 97 is my hands down favorite. This without the commentary is like cornflakes without the milk. Well, you know what, man? See, and, and I, I went through and, and read some of your stuff and talking about like worst matches and best matches and things like that, which I do disagree with. There, there was one very easily worst match, but the matches on here are not terrible. And yes, you are missing Bobby Heenan, but by God, you've got us. It's, um, I don't know. We're going to do our best. I guess I should mention here. Oh, what a shot for Mr. Fuji. Where would oh, uh, Mr. Owen, you get that very, very bad shot. Where would uh gorilla say that Owen had just been hit there? Uh, Owen Hart in the trapezius cardioid astronomical area of the Furnum Snabits. I thought you were going to say something like the occipital protuberance or some silly shit like that. If you do, you'll clean it up. <laughs> Around this same time, uh, Latin fury got a tryout match with the juicer. So that's Conan beating art bar. Let me freestyle a guess here. Why do you think both of these guys didn't wind up with the company? They're both tremendous talents and art bar, man. If you could have had him in 92, what could have been right? Well, yeah, art bar was a hell of a talent, but I think that art was still pretty damn green back in 1992 and not ready for prime time. Uh, his brother, Jesse might've had a little bit of baggage left in the, fed if you will but conan i don't know what the hell happened with conan i know conan's story was something about that he had uh either asked for reimbursement on something and the boys took it the wrong way and he got heat for it i had never heard that story but then again i never really heard a story as to what happened with conan and why he didn't come in because he was hot shit in mexico at the time man he was he was really the big dog in mexico and drawing huge houses for triple a i want to mention here too since we're talking about guys coming and going that uh Meltzer wrote lex luger has pretty well been confirmed as joining the wbf by several sources Apparently they'll be running an angle with Luger entering a bodybuilding contest and he'll get blown away by the big bodybuilding names, lose his temper and somehow segue that into becoming a wrestler. Using Luger is as much an attempt to get wrestling fans interested in bodybuilding as anything else. Is that part of the reason you think uh, Vince brought him in here as sort of a crossover star to introduce wrestling fans to bodybuilding? Absolutely. Because he, you know, the, Wrestling fans didn't give a shit about the bodybuilders and the bodybuilding fans didn't give a shit about the wrestlers. Lex definitely had a name in wrestling. He couldn't wrestle uh, because of his WCW contract or NWA contract, whatever the hell it was at the time. So Vince wanted to bring him in and utilize that name power to get people watching the WBF show. Wow. Well, how'd that work out? Well, you know, the crazy thing was, is that Vince kind of in his own mind thought that Lex could be that WBF star to take the WBF to the next level. He's got it. Look at him. God damn, he's a narcissist. He loves himself. So there you have that as well. But uh, obviously Lex didn't set the world on fire when he came in in the Fed either. 
Meltzer uh, also reports in late January that Kevin Von Erich is supposed to be coming in and working the next set of TV tapings. Why don't you think this wind up happening? Why did Kevin Von Erich not get an opportunity here? I don't know. I, and, and, you know, I was at the Texas tapings that they had had back in, I guess, November and what have you. And I, I'd never heard any, any rumblings about Kevin, but Kevin was set doing his thing there in Dallas. And I don't think that Kevin really wanted to work in the WWE as far as I know, but, uh, I'd never, I never heard anything about it other than rumblings. Meltzer reported in February, quote, latest on ultimate warrior is that those close to him say he has no interest in returning to wrestling. Of course, we know a few months from now, he's going to come back at WrestleMania eight here in early 92. We'll call it January. Did you have any idea that warrior might be making a return or was that a total last minute surprise? Most likely for me, that was a total last minute surprise. And from what I heard from talent that was there, it was a total surprise to the talent as well that no one knew that the warrior was coming back. The, the jury was out on Hogan, whether Hogan was staying or going, but nobody knew about warrior coming in. Everybody thought it was all going to Sid. They do a set of tapings in January and they're offering tryouts to a lot of folks here, including Ron and Don Harris, which feels like from another era, but they're doing tryouts here in early 92. Billy Jack Haynes is there as well. And, uh, Brian Adams came back at those tapings simply as crush without any of the face makeup that we had seen before as a part of demolition. We haven't talked a ton about old Billy Jack Haynes, and he's made a bit of a spectacle of himself in most recent years. Any good Billy Jack Haynes stories you can share with us? You know, I, I guess Billy, Billy has witnessed some murders and, <laughs> and some different things through the years, but Billy kind of had a, uh, Heidenreich esque aura about him in that I don't think that people ever really felt that Billy was all the way there and kind of kept a safe distance from him. However, when I was around Billy Jack Haynes back in the day and just a few stints that he did coming in in Houston and I was around him a little bit in uh, WWE, he seemed perfectly normal to me at the time. We talked a little bit about SummerSlam 92 earlier, and it comes out in the Observer that Quote, I believe SummerSlam will be August 31st at the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland. And this was written about a lot, Bruce, including the WWF's own magazine. But instead, they wind up in the UK. Any idea why? I think that when Vince had that opportunity to do that huge gate at Wembley Stadium, it was it was a way to kind of prove a point that he can do it anywhere. And it was an experiment. I think it was just something that he wanted to try and experiment, see if they could actually do and pull off. And it was a huge event for him and obviously did real well. Of course, we're still watching the uh, new foundation and the Orient express here. Uh, they're having a, a pretty decent match. You know, this actually got the uh, second most votes for match of the night, according to the wrestling observer reader poll. Uh, Dave himself would give it three and a quarter stars. He, they're going to go 17 minutes and 18 seconds here. And he says, Hart, who with the exception of Ric Flair and maybe Shawn Michaels was the best performer on the show made this match along with Tanaka taking his quote, fastest bumps in wrestling End quote, Hart did a Lucha Libre dive through the ropes on Takedo and then climb back in the ring and pin Tanaka with the rocket launcher. He really dug this match when you got a chance to watch it earlier this week. 
What was your takeaway? Similar? Exactly. The the other thing that I kept thinking was how how good Owen Hart was, especially here in 1992. Owen was good from the minute he stepped into a ring and was one of the best performers, not just in the company, but anywhere in the world. Owen was just so damn good. So I'm, I'm telling somebody this, and they say, have you seen his son, Oge? And they sent me pictures of Oge that I couldn't believe because Owen's son now looks – just like Owen Hart then. Absolutely amazing. He's ripped to shreds. I don't know what the hell he's doing, but uh, God, he's a chip off the old block when it comes to looks, and you would swear it was Owen Hart if you didn't know better. That's good to hear, man. What'd you think of uh, Mark Henry's Hall of Fame speech? I know you were there in person this year, so you saw everybody's speech. In his speech, he said that, you know, Martha, Owen needs to be here, and Oge needs to be around you know, the boys and, and the shows, it's his birthright. You're feeling? Well, you know, that's a real personal decision that uh, Martha's going to have to make and, and that the, the kids, when they're old enough, if they want to stand out on their own and they want to know more that they can make and they love their mom, I'm sure. And that's what they've been brought up with. So while I agree with Mark Henry's sentiments, it's not for us to say. It's it's for the... It's for the family to say and for the kids to say. And there's another God. Meltzer was talking about the quick bumps of Pat Tanaka. There was a great example of that because Pat was a bumping machine. And here comes Owen. God, he was incredible. Never stopped. And here we go. Here's going to be our finish. The rocket launcher. What do you think about this in an era where all the finishing moves were two man moves. What'd you think about the rocket launcher? I thought it was, you know, I mean, it was good for them and it kind of showcased the power of Jim and the high flying of Owen. But <laughs> what made me laugh when you go back and watch it was Owen probably could have got up a whole hell of a lot higher and been more spectacular on his own instead of having to come down for Jim to launch him off and probably telling Jim, Jesus Christ, you're stiff with that slap on the back. And you, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Mr. Fuji with the very special. That's a loaded cane, too, by the way. You didn't know that, did you? I did not know that. Look at the, yeah, that, uh, the, it's a little thing, but just setting the cane up in the corner and have him run through it. A pretty innovative spot that we didn't see a lot of. I thought that was really cool when I watched this back. Mr. Fuji does not get the credit he deserves for a lot of his work and even his managerial stuff. He was absolutely awesome in coming up with stuff like that. My man, hey, Fulton Lord Alfred, I'm going to do Bulldog. It's the only British accent I got. Um, when we did a word association with him once, you said whale rope. Yes. What does that mean? A whale rope is an extremely large uh, in circumference rope and long. So here we see January 17th, 1992 Springfield, Massachusetts. It's clearly a house show and the Mountie rolls up the intercontinental champion, Bret Hart and becomes the intercontinental champion at a house show. And of course he starts to attack him with the belt after Hebner's having nothing of it. And, uh, it looks like we've got a bit of a situation on our hand. I hope we have a hero come out and rescue our baby face. 
Well, you would certainly hope so, because this damn Mountie, it's just absolutely uncalled for. But thank God, thank God for Rowdy Roddy Piper, who's really in no big hurry to get out and save Brett. And the commentary-wise, which they carried all the way through the event, was that Brett had like 102 fever. Yeah, so the story is, I'll read this directly from the Observer. One of the stranger stories of the past week involves the intercontinental title. Officially, as the storyline goes, Bret Hart went to the ring with 104 degree fever on Friday night in Springfield, Massachusetts, and lost the title to the Mountie. Mountie in turn dropped the title at the rumble two days later to Roddy Piper. And as has become pretty common knowledge, as the week went on, Hart had negotiated and at one point agreed to a deal where he would debut on Tuesday, January 21st at the clash of the champions for WCW in Topeka, where he'd come out with the intercontinental title as something of a payback for the WWF bringing in Ric Flair and having him wear that WCW considered their world title belt. Um, I think a lot of people sort of forget this. Uh, I'll continue the, the article here. The fact that Hart was losing the title in Springfield was the world's worst kept secret being that the WWF syndicated shows went out on the satellite on Wednesday, which means anyone with a dish would have been able to watch on Wednesday, them talk about in the past tense in detail and an angle that actually was going to occur two days later. It should be noted that the decision made to change the intercontinental title from Hart to Piper was made weeks ago before any talks had even started with WCW. So despite rumors to the contrary that are sure to be spread, it wasn't a last minute decision by Titan to get the belt off of Hart for fear he was leaving. If anything, Hart knowing he was going to lose the title may have had, may have been the impetus for his exploring the option of a jump. Apparently WCW offered Brett a guaranteed deal that was substantially more than he'd been earning as intercontinental champion. However, apparently after agreeing to the deal, Hart had to back out because he realized his contract with the WWF, which he thought had run out, had actually rolled over and he couldn't give his notice for several more months. However, WCW sources indicate that Hart, who had backed out on a deal as of a few days ago, will be coming in after all, not that too many months from now. Hart was promised that after losing the strap to Mountie in a house show that he would be getting it back at WrestleMania, even if it meant in a babyface match versus Piper. However, those are the kinds of promises in wrestling that aren't often kept. What do you think here about this, uh, interesting situation that I think a lot of people sort of lose sight of that Brett was sort of playing hokey pokey here while he was the champion with WWF and WCW. Well, you know, I had, I had heard from the dirt sheets and the rumor mill because obviously I wasn't there and I had heard, and a lot of it came from. Roddy Piper, the man on the screen right now, just talking about different things. But Roddy was also friends with Brett. And he said, he goes, you know, Brett's got a deal. I mean, he's, he's here for a while. So I think, you know, if, for Piper to know and for Brett to know, I think that they knew that. Um, it, it was a weird deal. And it, it would have been, a, in my opinion, it would have been a big deal at that time for Brett to be over on WCW television. And, and that would have made a pretty good dent, but I, I don't know the particulars and I don't know what the inner workings of the office were, but I, I mean, I had known just from talking to Roddy that, that Roddy was going to be the champion here at the Royal rumble. Didn't know how they were going to get there, but I knew he was winning the title. Of course, Meltzer, when he's comparing the, the situation with Flair and the WCW world title and Brett and the Intercontinental title, he writes, 
Of course, the situations are completely different in that Flair was fired by WCW after the company attempted to cut an existing contract almost in half, which somehow six months later, WCW feels is WWF's fault for to the extent they went to court over getting the belt off television shows. So the idea of this was to gain revenge on the WWF, but the difference is that Hart would be walking out on a valid contract. I, I just, right. I'm fascinated by this because there's so many people who say, you know, I know we've talked about the screw job ad nauseum, but they say, oh, Brett would never do that. Well, when he had the intercontinental title, he was actively negotiating with WCW. Well, there you go. And I, you know, whether, whether all that's true or not, I, I really and truly don't know. I, I heard the same rumors that you're reading right now, but, uh, other than discussions with Roddy back in the day, and it was more of kind of by the way and and hey i'm doing this and i'm going to be doing that uh and not getting into any details on stuff like that was about it you know i mean i talked to roddy i talked to savage and dibiase and taker but you know that's how i got a lot of my information was just guys telling me what the hell's going on in the business let's talk about this match here they're only going to go a little over five minutes and Meltzer would write nothing wrong with the match, but nothing much happened either. After the match, Jimmy Hart tried to zap Piper, but Piper got the zapper and zapped Mountie. I need you to go out of your way to watch this show later without Bruce and I's commentary and actually listen because this fucking <laughs> shock stick sound. Actually, it was worse than that. It's way worse than that. And it's over the loudspeaker. So it's not even coming from the fucking ring. Somebody in the back where they're playing entrance music is now playing through the speakers, this hokey as shit sound effect for the zapper. It's hilarious. Yeah, it would have been, it would have had to have been good to be hilarious. It it was pretty awful just listening to it and going through the whole thing, but I was prepared for it. And, uh, Roddy's greatest damn kicks there, but it was, you know, people would often talk about what a great worker Roddy was and so on and so forth. And Roddy was because Roddy drew money. So people can, can say what they want about. He didn't do a whole lot. He do. He drew enough. He did enough to draw money. Well, and he made everything look like a fight, you know? I mean, one of the things you talked about John Cena recently is you said he did look sort of unorthodox and it wasn't all polished. And so it made it look real. It looked different. And Piper was sort of the same way to me. Piper was different. That's what I was just going to say. I mean, Roddy was different. He was different how he sold stuff. He's different in his offense, and he made you believe. And probably a good reason is is I'm watching some of those right hands. Those right hands landed, and they hurt. (laughs) Trust me, because I I used to get a lot of them. And uh, son of a bitch, it, it was... Just going back and doing research and people critiquing Roddy for different things and going, man, you know what? That son of a bitch fought. He was a smaller guy, but yet he drew huge money and he was always there. And I'm biased because he was one of my best friends. But man, that son of a bitch got out there and fought for everything he everything he got, he fought for. It's worth mentioning, I guess. There was a dark match this night. Chris Walker would beat Brooklyn brawler by DQ brawler got the pin with his feet on the ropes. And this brought Jack Tunney out and overruled the ref and reversed the decision. 
And Meltzer would write, this was done to turn Tony, Tony, easy for me to say, babyface for the live crowd so they wouldn't boo him when he came out for his announcement before the Royal Rumble. It didn't work out since they still booed him like crazy when he came out later in the show and he gave the match a dud. Why did everybody hate Jack Tunney so much? Cause he was the authority figure and probably cause he was Canadian and in Albany, they just, you know, they're used to the Canadians crossing the board and, and border. And that was probably the main reason, but he was, he was the decision maker. He had taken the title off of Hogan and they looked at him as a heel. Let me tell you as a kid, and I guess that's why I love this zapper sound so much. It made me laugh so much because as a kid, man, I fucking love the Mountie. I thought the Mountie was one of the best characters ever because it was so over the top and he makes this weird face in all the promo photos. That's just like the forced frown and, um, just the silly, I'm the Mountie. I don't know why, but it fucking tickled me. And I love the gear and there's actually a listener of ours and I forget his name, but he actually went as the Mountie for a Halloween costume one year, and it was the most legit Halloween costume I've ever seen for wrestling. And, and Jacques lived it, man. Jacques had, Jacques had heat as a Mountie. Jacques had heat as Jacques, for fuck's sake. But, you know, and here's the difference. The shock stick that they used in uh, WWE was a working shock stick. Right. Bill Watts used a cattle prod in Mid-South. And it was a shoot cattle prod. So Bill would come out when he was doing the Midnight Rider gimmick, and Bill would actually shock the heels with it just to be an asshole. And there was a guy by the name of Ray Candy who worked as, um, God, I don't know. He, he had some Arab name during that time for the gimmick that they were doing. And Ray told him, he says, Bill, you shock me one more time, it's going to be the last time, and I'm gone. And Bill came and yelled laughing and just being big, Bill, big bully Bill. And Bill shocked him. And Ray got up, no sold it, and said, that was the last time, and walked out of the ring and walked to the back, got in his car, and was never heard from again. Kareem Muhammad? Kareem Muhammad, yes. So there you it's go. It's an Arab name, isn't it? We'll go with that. He was also okay. Black Stud Williams, Commando Ray, Mass Superfly, and Super Mario Man. And a hell of a nice guy and just, but the thing was all Bill had to do was touch him with the guys would have sold the thing, but Bill wanted to actually shock him with the damn cattle prod. Maybe, um, his claim to fame is he trained new Jack. Ray candy did. Yep. Get out of here. How about that? Nice guy. Ray candy's a nice guy. I don't know new Jack, but I'm sure he's a nice guy too. And now Roddy's showing his arsenal of moves with an atomic drop and the wonderful bump over the top rope, skinning the cat. Look at how hard it is. It's been a long time since Jacques did that. And let's go home, folks. Here we go. And the worst sleeper hold in the uh, business right here. I hate when guys put the sleeper on like this. This, this is what I criticized Chris Jericho about, and then Jericho had to call me and send me a nice little message with an F in it. Talking about his sleeper hold. You think Chris's uh, sleeper hold is the shits? Uh, the one that he had in the match with the rock that we were talking about, it was the shits. And when guys put on the sleeper hold Wait, like make, that, make I the just noise, hate make it. Make the noise. Hang on. Here we go. Piper has it. He's stolen it from Jimmy Hart. He's got the shock stick looking around to the crowd. The crowd's ready for it. He holds it up. 
You want me to do it? Yes, you do. I'm going to shock you there. You better get out of the ring there, little Joey Marola. Oh, here I go. Should I do it? Oh, I'm giving him plenty of time to get the cue up. Let me kick his arm here. Oh, yeah. Hold it up like that. Here we go. Two. It's going to be a double shocker. Thumbs down. Here we go. Can you fucking believe this? (laughs) I love wrestling. I love wrestling. Oh, shit. So silly. What's so silly about it? It just that's is. real I mean, man I, I love it i love it but it's silly and uh of course roddy piper gets the win and this is his only belt in the wwf is it not it is it is and if i had been there and had any say so in it at all i would have been against roddy being the champion even the intercontinental champion any championship didn't need it i'd hate taking it off of him well, but it worked and it worked fine I guess I shouldn't say this is his only one because he was tag champs with Ric Flair, but I mean, that was so late. I don't even know that we really count that. Well, that one I was for, I did that one. <laughs> so that one counts. <laughs> if I did it, then it's fine. Hey, if I did it, then it's good. But in this case, nah, you know, it did look kind of cool to see him with the uh, title here. I need you to sort of, we do a watch along thing with Tony Schiavone every week. And Tony usually does the voiceovers for the guys. And uh, we're about to see Lord Alfred interview Hulk Hogan. I'm going to need you to freestyle here for me. Well, Hulk, sir, can I tell you? Well, let me tell you something awful, Alfred. I forgot what the hell my shit was. It's not going to be sipping tea here tonight, brother. Uh-uh. Because Hulkamania is going to be running wild in the Royal Rumble. Yeah. And you and me, if we got to go out and do what we got to do, it's going to be nothing but the undisputed championship for the Hulkster tonight, brother. So you go sip your tea and shove it up your goddamn candy ass and let me get through pumping up my damn muscles there, brother. Because I don't do Coliseum video, bro. Even if Tony Schiavone were still here, I wouldn't do it well there you go good job yeah i i actually see here's the thing i had notes for a later hulk promo and uh bushwhacker luke and butch you see butch was damn committed to the bushwhacker gimmick and luke i think was just you know happy to be there and doing his stuff and uh being a damn bushwhacker and everybody's wondering what the hell Jameson is doing there. Aye, mate. Yeah. Yeah, Butch had a lot of lines to remember here. And this was probably during the time that they were experimenting with giving him lines during the during all the promos. Unfortunately, I can't believe this is real. These motherfuckers are about to wrestle 15 and a half minutes. Can we just skip over it? I wish we could. We're going to talk about everything else during this match. They're going to be taking on the Beverly brothers. And of course we've got Jameson here who looks like Pauly Shore's uncle. Uh, who is Jameson? I know we've talked about him before on the show briefly, but a lot of people are probably seeing him for the very first time right now. And my apologies for that. Well, Jameson was a character actor that Vince saw at a murder mystery dinner theater in Greenwich, Connecticut. Vince loved the character and liked the guy's name was like John Giancomo or something like that. But Vince brought him in for the Bobby Heenan show and he was going to be the guest or the co-host for the Bobby Heenan show. 
Jameson came around when the Bobby Heenan show went away. Vince really wanted to keep Jameson on doing something, so he put him with the Bushwhackers. And uh, that's how we got Jameson. But, you know, two guys that don't get a lot of credit, the Beverly Brothers here, Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. These two guys are products from uh, Minnesota, from the whole Kurt Hennig, Rick Rude, Legion of Doom, Eddie Sharkey School, and, and all that that came up uh, in Minnesota with that whole crew of a bunch of badasses. And it's funny when you look at Wayne Bloom, who's the more slender of the two, Wayne was probably one of the strongest guys in the business uh, when it came to, to weightlifting. Wayne Bloom right there. Um, absolutely incredible power and strength. And I'm the genius and I can, oh, wait, he finished. So I can't finish it. No one cares. If you've got a genius rhyme, let's hear it. I don't. <laughs> I don't. That's okay. You're supposed to just go with it because if I tried to rhyme, I couldn't. So we're going to save some time. Let me tell you as a kid, rhyme with time. I can appreciate, and I guess I can as an adult, why the bushwhackers were on the show. I mean, this, this hand movement is over the lick in the kids, which really does not age well. <laughs> <laughs> as a kid i thought oh man these guys are gross and now as an adult i'm like oh fuck um but still i mean they're here to entertain the kids it's almost like uh i don't know the 80s version of santino morella right they're here to entertain the crowd oof it's funny when you when you think of the sheep herders luke and butch who for years were known for the ultimate violence and the ultimate bloody barbed wire cage matches these guys were extreme and ecw crap long before anybody had ever heard of ecw they headlined all over the world and were just nasty top drawing heels and Vince took one look at them and says, God damn, they're baby faces. You like licking yourself, don't you? Conrad's licking himself, folks. Well, I heard that the Mountie could. No, not the Mountie. I'm sorry. The genius. I heard the genius. Well, you just could. did, and I saw it. I've never seen the genius do it. I just saw you do it. Well, spread that around. <laughs> Whoa! Yay! Will that be the noise you would make if you really could lick yourself? Whoa! <laughs> Yay! I so, spent a lot more time in my office. Uh, I guess it's worth mentioning what we're about to watch here. This silly horseshit uh, won the worst match of the night poll in a landslide. Here's what Meltzer had to say about it as far as his critique. This is pretty fun. <sighs> this match was so long and so bad. It would give most shows a thumbs down all by itself. That's not even considering Jameson. The only thing variable was the commentary since they never talked about the match and just concentrated on comedy with Heenan ranking on Jameson. But after the commentary, the best thing about the match was all the missed moves. The next best thing was the bushwhackers licking each other and marching around the ring. Predictably, after the match was over, the Bushwhackers chased the Beverly's from the ring and held the genius so Jameson can kick him in the shin and the butt. Earlier in the match, Genius had slapped Jameson. At least Jameson plays his ultra nerd role well. And to Titans' credit, their non humorous attempt at comedy with Jameson, at least, was put in a match where it couldn't make it much worse. 
negative star and a half. Yeah, but watch book Butch Lick Luke. Good shit. God damn it. <laughs> I love it. But they're putting their time in here. This feels like get a, that time in. Feels like a George South match right now. They're gonna do twenty minutes of this before the bell rings. Well, yeah, because they got twenty one minutes to <laughs> for a match and everything. So if you can kill twenty of it here, why not? It is worth mentioning. Meltzer loved the show. He wrote this year's Royal Rumble was certainly one of the WWF's best pay-per-view shows ever. I gave it a thumbs up without any question. The undercard was a slight thumbs down, but the Rumble itself was more than enough to change that. I thought overall as a show, last year's Rumble from a wrestling content and excitement perspective was significantly better, and I still rank last year's Rumble as the best WWF pay-per-view show in recent years. However, last year's show with them exploiting the war so heavy-handedly left a bad aftertaste. This year's Royal Rumble match itself was a lot better than last year's and the match itself didn't have a strong undercard and was somewhat anticlimactic, but it seems the majority opinion from the messages thus far is that this is one of the best WWF pay-per-view shows since at least last year's rumble. I mean, that match is so good. The main event that I think it makes up for all this, but this was a fucking chore to get through this week for me, man. I can't lie. (laughs) And I got to agree with you. I just, again, I'm looking at it from a producer's point of view and a promoter's heart, looking at trying to get where you need to go, where you need to be. Yeah. It was a one match show and you had to go, Oh my God, the double sledgehammers and Luke selling coming off of his knees is absolutely classic. It's oh boy. Let's talk a little bit about, um, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. I didn't realize this until I started to do my research for the show here, but they actually ran a show in Honolulu in front of 18,000 fans where Flair beat Hogan by count out. I was really fascinated by that. How was business in Hawaii as a whole? I've never really heard us talk about Hawaii much. Uh, as a whole, generally Hawaii would be the drizzling shits. And that's why they really only ran it maybe once a year. If there was a good reason to run it, like a uh, overseas tour in Japan or Far East, just if it was on the way. Because on its own, Hawaii never drew. And Liam Ivea used to try and do tours and used to try and do big shows in between, in between the Japanese tours with Baba. And those guys, when guys would stop over in Hawaii and she'd say, hey, why don't you stay for a couple of days and run a big show with as many big stars as they could? But as a rule, never really drew. The day after Christmas, Hogan beat Flair by DQ in Hershey. And the same day they ran in Landover and Hogan beat Flair by count out there. The next day they're in Richmond, Virginia, a market where they hadn't drawn more than $40,000 for years. And they drew one hundred and seven grand. The crowd here was super pro flair and they even teased the title switch with flair beating Hogan for the title before they did the dusty finish. They drew 107 grand though. So like two and a half times as much outstanding. Um, on the 29th, they ran Madison square garden and Hogan beat flair again by count out. That's a famous poster that a lot of us have seen in the collector market. The January 5th meeting between the two happened at the Omni in Atlanta and check this out. It only drew 4,500 fans. And I guess it's worth mentioning 
the WCW had ran multiple shows there very recently, and they did it with $3 tickets. I assume it's probably hard to get people to pay for wrestling if they've, they've grown accustomed to $3 tickets, but it feels like Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair in Atlanta should have been a hell of a house. Why do you think it only drew 4,500 fans? Well, I think because of the reason you just said when the hometown promoter and that for that era, NWA and WCW would have been the hometown promoter in Atlanta. And when they start giving their product away, that sets the value of professional wrestling in their market. So it would be tough to come in and battle that because I guarantee you on the heels of WWE announcing that they're going to have a show there and their ticket price is coming out that NWA would be right behind that with, Hey, don't go to that because in, in however many days, a week or two weeks, we're coming in and our tickets are only $3. So for you, for you to take a family of four is what it would cost for one person to go to a WWE event. And that's how they promoted it. That's how, what we did. I mean, we never gave our stuff away. Bill Watts used to give free shows away and do dollar tickets and things like that in Tulsa to combat the WWE back in the day. Um, but once people get used to that, they're, they're not going to pay top dollar. At least it takes a while to get the audience back. So when they come out of here, they've got a new plan for house shows going forward. At least that's what Meltzer reports at the time that it's going to be Hogan and Piper against Taker and Flair. That's sort of a weird hodgepodge of dudes there. Is it not? It's star power. It's throw as much. It's names, <laughs> you know, put names up there. You're going to see Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, and Undertaker all in one match. That's what they're doing. And they're just trying to, to flood it with names. And it's not necessarily the match that's selling it. The January 6th show in Miami saw Hogan over Flair by count out on top. The January 7th show in Dayton saw Sherry announced that she was in love with Sean. And this is when Sid justice returned on January 7th. And there was a dark match again of Hogan over flair. Once again, by count out freestyle, a guess as to why you think, uh, Sid was back here. Uh, base, uh, softball season's over. I was hoping you were going to say that. Well, wasn't it on January 9th, they're running Sarasota and here they've got Bret Hart beating Ric Flair by DQ with 2,500 fans there. Uh, allegedly, uh, Hart had the sharpshooter on and flair poked the ref in the eyes, uh, but it got good reviews all around January 11th. They're going to have nearly 13,000 folks on hand to see Hogan beat flair by count out. And there's 170 grand at the gate. So it's drawing really well here again, but of that show, what everyone was talking about was the rockers angle that aired over the weekend on challenge. And you probably remember which one we're talking about there. Don't you Bruce? Brutus, the beefcake barber and, uh, the barber shop. And that's where Shawn Michaels finally got rid of the dead weight of Marty Jannetty and put his ass through a barbershop window. Well, what's great is when Bobby Heenan says, oh, he jumped through the window. I knew he was going to do that or something like that. So <laughs> Look, good. he's trying to get away from Sean. I mean, one of the most iconic angles of all time, and it's happening right around this show. Meltzer would write at the time, quote, expect a big Sid to turn heel this year. Probably not far into the year either. Now, Sid always wanted to be heel. Did he not? Uh, yeah. Um, Sid thought that 
you know, Vince saw Sid as the ultimate babyface, and and Vince saw Sid as the replacement for Hulk Hogan. Sid saw Sid as the big nasty heel, and that uh, he should be like Bob Holly, win the title, and beat everybody. So that was that was his mindset, and this was an opportunity for Sid to come back, be the big mean nasty heel, and get that match with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania. January 12th in Hamilton, Ontario. We've got Hogan over flair by count out again. And then two days before this show is the Springfield show. We just referenced where we saw flair beat Piper by count out. It's also where the Mountie won the intercontinental title. And on that show, I can't believe this happened. Hulk Hogan pinned Jake, the snake Roberts in six and a half minutes. We almost never saw that match. So it's kind of fun that it happened here, but it was an accident because Hogan was subbing for Savage. I know we've talked about him before, but why don't you think Hogan and, and Roberts worked more often? Well, I don't know. Uh, the only thing that I can really think of is back in the day when Jake first came in with that snake, the snake got such a pop that you're battling, you know, and you're battling the big baby face in Hogan. And then you're battling the baby face. That was the snake in the bag to me. I thought that Jake and Hogan would have been huge money. I think that the uh, whole Jake the Snake gimmick and the evil promos that Jake could have cut and the, the babyface promos that Hogan could have cut, take the snake, take Damien out of it and only bring him out when you need it. I thought that, that could have been big money. I, I can't answer that. I don't know. I've been covering, you know, this, uh, Hogan flair stuff because we're going to talk about it, but the night before, and this is another record they're in Boston and they draw a legit sellout of 15,000 fans, which Meltzer writes is the first sellout of a big building for a non-pay-per-view card from either group in so many months that I've lost track and what drew it, of course, flair and Hogan on top. No surprise, I guess. I mean, it looks like that's what we're heading for here. In this show, I guess we should talk about too, you know, as this, after this show is over with, there's still going to be lots of rumor and innuendo about what was next and what was coming. Meltzer would write in the February 3rd edition of the newsletter, the top two spots for WrestleMania seem to be finalized as Hulk Hogan versus Sid justice and Ric Flair versus Randy Savage for the WWF title. The change from the originally planned Hogan flair title match changed sometime in early January. And one can speculate as to why bottom line is that if they were going to do Hogan flair, that would mean a title change. And one questioned the business sense of that title change, given that Hogan would be taking five months off to do a movie. And there are a lot of other questions regarding Hogan's future in wrestling. So all these years later, man, everybody's got a different reason for why we didn't see that match. You know, JJ Dillon says it didn't draw like we hoped it might. And Rick has even said, I wasn't a big draw on the West coast and everybody's got these different reasons, but realistically, if you were going to do it, you had to have Hogan go over, but if Hogan goes over with your title belt and he's gone for five months, that's not something that you did in this era, right? Well, no, it's not. But at the same time, it didn't draw. And, and it didn't draw outside of traditional WWE territories in that Northeast and where the WWE was historically really strong. So they didn't feel that putting anything into it. But my counter to that was 
This is years later. This is Monday morning quarterbacking. Was that I didn't feel that they did anything on television between Hulk and Rick that was of a personal nature to make you care about the match, other than you're relying on on Rick's run as an NWA world champion and hoping that your audience is going to know that and, and just based on reputation alone. A lot of the – there were people – that were just true blue WWF fans that only knew WWF and didn't know NWA, didn't care and or know who Ric Flair was. So to them, he was brand new. He was claiming a championship that they didn't know anything about. So it was, we, they never did anything to make it mean something. I guess it's worth mentioning that Flair is going to defend the title the very next night, the night after this show, in Montreal, and it's going to be Hogan and Flair on top. Hogan's going to beat him by count out and they draw almost 11,000 there in Montreal. It, it really is a, a good drawing deal, but as you said, one of those things, the following week though, on February 10th, we would see in the observer that Meltzer says it's pretty apparent what WrestleMania eight is going to look like Hogan, justice, Flair, savage, taker, Roberts, Piper, Hart. And he writes, while not even hinted at as of yet, there are rumors flying that the tag team title match will send Legion of Doom versus Ted DiBiase and IRS, who are going to form a new heel tag team. IRS is replacing Shawn Michaels, who was originally to team with DiBiase, but that idea has apparently been scrapped for reasons of which I have no idea. Don't have the exact figure figures yet, but believe the number of tickets sold for the Hoosier Dome card is already more than 15,000. Did you remember hearing any sort of rumor and innuendo about a DiBiase, Shawn Michaels tag team? That is actually the first time I've ever heard that. Well, never heard that. Kind of like we didn't hear the the three count here in the Beverly brothers, finally ending this match (laughs) that we've been, uh, talking over, but you know what happens at the end of the match here with the Bushwhackers? What's that? The Bushwhackers must eat sardines. I don't know, but you got the heels that went over, and now the baby faces are finally making an offensive comeback. And God awful doesn't even begin to to justify it. So there you go. <sighs> Not a great show so far. Um do you want to have fun with this, uh, Jameson interaction here? Uh, I love the way that he gets his butt up here, getting under <laughs> underneath the ropes, trying to get in. I thought it was pretty good classic. And here he had taken lessons earlier from, uh, Shawn Michaels with the sweet shin music. He kind of takes a lesson and he, he holds his fist kind of like somebody else that I, I know and love way back when, but it could be some of the worst. But people ate it up. People loved it. And should I do it? Should I do it? Yeah, in the shin. And I don't know what the hell happened to his shoes, but you notice he's only got one shoe on. Yeah, one came off. Oh, damn. That's a shame. Well, one of them was gimmick so that the bottom, the the sole was, was flapping all the time. And he had to tape that up because he couldn't walk with it. And it was great when he does his community theater, but not great for being in the ring. It comes out around this time that, uh, Hawk was missing some house shows and, uh, animals working as a singles. 
Can you venture a guess as to why? He overslept. Okay, we'll go. We'll go with that. <laughs> Speaking of oversleeping, around this same time, superstar Billy Graham and David Schultz were doing an Inside Edition and 2020 appearance, and of course, they're talking about Doctor Zahorian, Hulk Hogan, anabolic steroids, and both of these guys are making claims and providing documentation that a lot of the other guys in the business will back up. But the word on the street was that Billy Graham was really trying to extort one and a quarter million dollars from the WWE in order to sort of make all this go away. Even Meltzer was saying that Hogan had really become a scapegoat in all this. What were you hearing about all this from the outside? Just, you know, a lot of nonsense and everybody was, everybody was looking for something. I think everybody was looking for some kind of angle to get some kind of money out of the WWE and expose whatever it is that they felt they wanted to expose and get their 15 minutes of fame. Of course, on screen right now, we've got a promo from the Legion of doom. There's always a handful of things that I remember from these, the well, what a rush and tell them Hawk. Are those your favorite go-tos of these promos? Well, what a rush. You want to throw your weight around? Well, that's okay, because we want to throw your weight around, too. And that's exactly what we're going to do. What a rush. Man, I loved Hawk's promos. And Mike was responsible for so many guys, just gimmicks, promos, catchphrases from Paul Bearer, Doink the Clown, just shit like that that he would come up with stuff. One of the most entertaining guys I've ever had the pleasure of being around. Not everybody got along with him. I was fortunate. I had a blast with him, and uh, I had a good time with with Hawk. I feel like we should mention here that Meltzer did run a correction regarding Bret Hart. He says, quote, the word we received at press time regarding Hart going to WCW was incorrect, and that by the time we wrote it, the deal was temporarily dead. Hart is under contract to the WWF. His earliest out would be in September, unless WCW and Hart attempt to void his contract, which isn't going to happen. Hart was offered $300,000 as a guarantee to make the jump and had agreed to it until realizing his WWF contract had rolled over. I could be wrong, but my gut feeling is that Hart will get a big push and the WWF will attempt to keep him, um, come the fall rather than be buried. Oh, obviously they did. But did you ever have a conversation with Brad about what life might have been like had he went here in '92? No, you know I never, I never knew that Brett had done that until many, many years later, after the fact, after Brett had left, and it, it wasn't something you know that, at least from my vantage point, that uh, that I really knew. So it wasn't something to talk about. And I think by that time, Brett was was happy until he wasn't happy. But, um, you know, it's just kind of is what it is. And Dave getting out ahead of himself. And that kind of tells you where he's getting his information and from what side. When we were talking about at the very beginning, I had talked to Roddy Piper. And, and Piper had pretty much laid out the plans in a very general form of where they were going all the way through WrestleMania. And that Brett wasn't going down south. Um, so... There you go. I mean, I guess it just kind of depends on where you get your information. And you know, it always th- this is another thing kind of amazes me. You look at you look at the the screen right here, and that's four of the just badasses of badasses. Yep. 
in one ring at one time that you will ever see. I mean, you got Hawk and Animal, you got John Tenta and Earl Hebner. And I mean, that's just four badasses right there. And then Hebner. Well, I said Hebner. I oh, know. I'm just saying four oh, badasses. I left Typhoon out. Yeah. Okay. Um, Meltzer would write natural disasters beat Legion of doom by count out. So doom keeps the tag titles in nine twenty seven. quote. This was actually the best match I've seen these four have, but says more about how bad the other matches have been, but it was okay until the chief finish where everyone was brawling on the floor and typhoon got in to beat the count with all the time they spent on booking the rest of the card. They must've spent the time it takes between bites of a roast beef sandwich to come with this finish. Star and a half. I got to tell you, as a kid, I dug both of these because it was believable to me that these natural disasters who were monsters could actually oppose the Legion of Doom. And I think we've talked about this before on the show. I grew up having seen demolition first. So I was sort of in your camp where I thought, you know, the Legion of Doom was, uh, they were the late adopters. They were the copycats. Unlike, you know, what a lot of other people believe, but as a result, I kind of always dug this red and black version of LOD that I know a lot of hardcore JCP fans think is almost sacrilege. You're supposed to like the black and the silver spikes. Did you have a preference one way or other? Did you think that maybe the better days were behind the LOD here in 92 or what was your take? No, I didn't. And I thought that this match was laid out perfectly and it was a great story. It told a great story of two huge teams and what monsoon say the immovable object meets the impenetrable force or whatever the hell it is they told a great story in this match of two big badass teams colliding together the count out finish it's a cheap finish to get you to the next step without having to beat anybody really but the story itself and seeing hawk sell and some of bobby heenan's Lines were just, uh, you know, right here. He talks about how Hawk is a bird of prey. Well, he better start praying for help right about now. And just those little one-liners that Heenan had all the way through the damn thing made the match even more memorable. But the way they worked, it felt real. And as a spectator, even 30 years later, you can sit there and go, God damn, that was good shit. It was good stuff. And I'm a big fan of these guys. And I got to tell you, the kid and me thought it was the coolest thing ever. When road warrior animal went out of his way to come to our show in new Orleans, you know, he came out very early when we were sort of joking that when they announced our network show at hall of fame, that we got a road warrior pop. And when he came out, man, he really did get a road warrior pop. That crowd was ready and just seeing, and I know that I'm an adult and I'm grown and this shouldn't be cool, but just seeing road warrior animal in his face paint. Man, that's like the shit I grew up on. That was awesome. Exactly. When they came out here in in the Royal Rumble, when you compare everything, they got a something else to wrestle with, Pop, when they came out for this <laughs> match here. So, what? Nothing. I'm good. I'm good. I'm just I'm just saying that was it, that was kind of pretty cool. And uh, you know, Bobby Heenan had the comment about Animal's haircut, you know, just it's a great haircut if you're going to the chair. But one liners just kind of continued, which is why you have to go back and listen to this with Heenan's commentary as well as our horrible commentary that we're doing on it is, you know, well, you know, I feel like we should mention here that not too terribly long after Jim Hurd was fired in WCW, 
people start really talking and Heard was fired around this time. And of course he had that infamous falling out, not six months prior with uh, Ric Flair that brought him to the WWF with the big gold belt. And Meltzer wrote, while there's been much talk within the company of regaining Flair over the past week, our reports indicate Flair has an ironclad two-year contract with Titan Sports through September 1993. Well, of course, we know that they would work out a deal where Flair could return, quote-unquote, home sooner than that. But it had to be something that the company was at least concerned about with Jim Hurd being really the primary function of, of Ric Flair coming up and all his friends are down there and that's more of his, his comfortable place. Do you think there was any concern that Flair may try to want to leave here or was the honeymoon not over with the company just yet? I don't think the honeymoon was over yet because Rick hadn't experienced being the champion yet. So I think to Rick being the champion here, that really did mean something to him. And he hadn't experienced that yet. He was still on the honeymoon. He's still on top. And, you know, man, the, the good stuff hadn't even kicked in yet. I feel like we should mention here that, uh, and this is, this is good stuff. There's, um, an incident that happened with the nasty boys. And we're going to see the nasties in a little while, but this is from the January 20th, 1992 edition of the observer. And I know you get mad when I quote it, but it's available at wrestlingobserver.com. The nasty boys are now expected to be out of action for a few weeks after that incident in Peoria, Illinois newspaper report said that the wrestlers, the nasty boys and IRS told police they were driving to their hotel when suspects in a Chevy Chevette cut them off. They said the suspects threw something that struck their car while it was stopped at a light. Knobs got out of the car to check for damage at the light and was attacked by three of the men, all of whom have since been arrested. When Sags jumped out to help, he was hit in the head with jumper cables and suffered a concussion. The wrestlers said they were able to get a knife from one of the suspects and were going to hold him until the police came, but released him when they realized Knobs was losing a lot of blood from being stabbed four times and needed immediate medical attention. The three men had a different story. They said Knobs was stabbed in self-defense. They told police the wrestlers were making obscene gestures and pointing at them. And they said Knobs got out of the car at the light, opened the car door, and punched one of the guys 10 times. The guy then grabbed the knife from the dashboard and stabbed Knobs four times. And the men gave no account of hitting Sags with jumper cables, although Sags was hospitalized with a two inch cut on his head. The three victims, picked up an hour after the incident, were uninjured, which kind of makes everyone skeptical of the story that they were acting in self defense. Man, what a story here. Had you heard this before? And what was the rumor mill at the time about this nasty boys at a red light. Well, the, the rumor mill was, you know, one of an altercation, but that, you know, these guys had, had jumped them and that, um, knobs had, had gotten stabbed. All right. I never heard. You just said the IRS was in the car, which to me, the, the reality base in this situation was that had this not happened pretty damn quick, that I think that uh, IRS, Mike Rotunda, who is one of the baddest human beings, probably still walking the face of the earth, a legit shooter and tough guy, that, that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? If they had gotten out and had jumped them, and especially if Rotunda was involved – 
that would have been a scary situation. And I think there's probably, I don't even know if the truth meets in the middle in that one, but the, the boy's story sounds a little bit more plausible to me than the other story. Cause as you say, the guys show up when they finally get them, there's no marks on them and nothing. And if knobs hit you 10 times, you'd have some marks somewhere. And if IRS got his hands on, you'd have a few broken bones everywhere. Tag. What a match here these guys are having. John Tinto, one of the more underrated performers in the business. We've had him on the poll a few times. He did not win the most recent poll where he was up there uh, with the big boss man, The Rock, and... uh, I forget what else. Oh, uh, in your house, cold day in hell, but hopefully we get to cover earthquake another time. I had these action figures as a kid for all the guys and I've always hated earthquake, man. He, he nearly killed Hulkamania and he did squash Damien the snake. It's just a bad deal, man. It's a bad deal. It is. But if I were these guys, I would mind the count because that's, that's what you have to do. Conrad. When you're on the outside of the ring, you have to mind the damn count and you have to be just conscious of where the hell the referee is in his count at all times. And I especially like how Tenta was really kind and took animal back to the mat before he slammed him, (laughs) slammed him down. It's a very considerate thing for him to do, but there you go. They minded the count and got in before the referee reached that 10 count. And there you go. That's a damn creative and great finish. In other words, fuck Dave Meltzer. In other words, your boy, Pat Patterson probably booked it. Pat was probably too busy on the rumble to worry about this. Man. How about those, uh, taking care of everybody chair shots? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he definitely did that. That's for damn sure. I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Good. I'm not mad at it either. I'm just saying he, he definitely did. Thank I is a talent. I would appreciate that. You know, the other thing that really amazed me here and I, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, but you go back to early road warriors and you watch them. I always remember animal being the slow methodical one, man. He's moving like a son of a bitch in these matches. Yeah. Just quick and just lighthearted and holy cow. I really didn't recall all that. Yeah, what a rush. But these are the days, you know, of the pay-per-view and taking time out in the middle. Why? I, I think it was still, you know, going back to the closed circuit and having to give intermissions and giving people time. And, and uh, you know, they don't even do intermissions anywhere anymore. And this was one of my favorite uh, favorite interviews on the whole damn night. Well, Sean Mooney here. By the way, how great is Sean Mooney? I love Sean Mooney. And what a singing voice, too. Helping Pat Patterson out with my way <laughs> at our live show, you got to love. And uh, the natural disaster is taking a little while to get backstage for this damn promo. And let me tell you something, Sean. Good stuff. Good stuff. But also right here, you see the camera is going to shoot off of the set and you realize that, hey, we're not really inside of a, uh, 
of a locker room here. That's a set up there with lights backlit. That would never happen on my watch, by God. Yeah, it, it did. It was the only time I've, that I remember seeing you guys make that mistake where it wasn't so tight. Of course, an extra foot of that would have made it better. But these, uh, the set was hilarious to me because as a kid, I mean, I bought into it. Hook, line, and sinker. I dug it. Well, of course you do, except when you look at the size of the lockers, and I don't even think that Earthquake could get his hand inside <laughs> one of those lockers, and I always loved the payphone in the background. You know, Jimmy Hart was just absolutely underrated with everything he did, and you can't just uh, discount a wonderful Earthquake here. Time's up, but he's still going. Ah, the the Earthquake. I don't know why every time I want to do a heel, it turns into either uh, one of the road warriors, usually Mike. Why is that? I don't know. It just seems simple. Just so damn heelish. Capacity <laughs> crowd here, brain. <laughs> you got to love Gorilla with his brown glasses, his velvet coat, and you know that had to be just hotter than shit in there. Oh, for sure. But Bobby talking about, you know, Bobby throughout this whole damn thing, again, we can't stress it enough. Let's just go back to listen to Bobby. And now, oh, here I am. There you go, me, G. I got me a new belt right here. Got me their continental title. Don't really want it. Don't know why the hell they gave it to me. Because eventually Vince is going to come in. He's going to say, hot rod. You got to drop the son of a bitch. I just don't really want to do that. Not at all. Because you see, I'm hot rod Ruddy Piper. And I don't do a whole a lot of jobs kind of like tonight that's why i got the belt here but uh now you got to figure out what the hell you want to do about it there it's time for you to have to pay the piper if you will somebody give me the cue to go home and kiss my ass <laughs> well right now you're gonna hear from everybody that is anybody here on the royal rumble guys i can't wait for this one this is the ultimate Royal Rumble. Sean Mooney here. I don't know why I'm still talking like Gene Okerlund, but uh, I love that the Barbarian gets a little cameo here and he walks right by. And I don't know why in the hell they didn't reveal this mirror over here that Shawn Michaels has been looking at this whole time. And I like the nice little camera move over. But uh, Sean being referred to as an underdog in 1992 at the Royal Rumble. How fun is that? Well, you got to love it because, you know, Sean talks about, you know, heinous acts and that everybody's talking about the heinous act that we talked about a little bit earlier on tonight on the Beefcake the Barber Brutus set right here, your favorite moment in time. Now, if you watch it real close, you're going to see Sean just goes to stretch here a little bit. Tells Marty, move while I stretch. And then Marty walks right back in while Sean's trying to stretch and falls down. So Sean goes over to help him up, being the nice tag team partner that he is. Says, hey, Marty, you okay? Here, let me help you up, buddy. And then watch Marty just run away from him and, and dive through the window. It's amazing. It is weird. It is kind of weird. And, and Sean goes on to, you know talked about the fact that marty Jannetty won't be in the royal rumble but look at it on the positive light sean has just saved marty from 29 
heinous beatings that uh, he would have to endure if he were indeed the uh, in the Royal Rumble itself. Now, the other thing that I don't get is coming right off of this, that we go to a Coliseum video interview. Now, this is not a Coliseum video. I think this was actually part of the, the real show itself. But just in the middle of things, we go back to Lord Alfred Hayes coming up here. I know I'm way ahead of it, folks. And there's your boy, the nature boy, Ric Flair, who now takes all the drama out of everything and says, yeah, that's right. I drew number three. <laughs> I'm going to be the third one uh, in the Royal Rumble. But it's also fascinating here that Rick ends this thing with, and that's the bottom line from the nature boy, Ric Flair. Isn't that fun? You got to love it. You got to love it. If you're going to steal, steal from the best. And, uh, you know, what's old is new again. And in about 10 years, it'll all be brand new all over again. It's a pretty fun deal that we've got here. And, uh, I guess this match, um, you know, or this pay-per-view rather had a couple of Coliseum exclusives. We saw the Hulk Hogan interview and then there's the Ric Flair one. But I agree. It does sort of take away. Of course, that interview wasn't in the original pay-per-view right. live version, but it does sort of, uh, give a little bit of a spoiler because Bobby Heenan's going to lose his fucking mind when he draws number three in a minute. Exactly. And I think everybody else, you know, is going to lose their mind now as Gene just throws generically to everybody. Oh yeah. Freak out, freak out because the macho man is going to be back at the top of the mountain. And there's two things I'm looking for tonight. That's a snake in a championship and a snake is going to be easy to find. Freak out, freak out. Dig it. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Macho man is coming at you. Uh-huh. Coming for you to be number one. Macho man, Randy Savage, just keep saying words about two things. Uh-huh. Peace out, brother. Uh-huh. Because it's getting a little bit freaky in here. Thank God for Sid Justice. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know why I'm grinding my teeth and talking like this because I am the ruler of the world. And if I grind like this and I get just pissed off because I think I'm the smartest man in wrestling business, then you, Hulk Hogan, and everyone else will know I'm shed justice and my teeth do not move ever. Hey, hey, I don't know why I'm whispering, but Sid was kind of whispering in the promo before. So, I'm going to whisper too, because I'm the repo man and I'm going to steal your shit. And you got to remember <laughs> what's mine is mine. What's yours is mine too. And I'm wearing a fucking mask around my eyes, but I used to be demolition. And now I'm wearing the shit with the tread, got tire treads on my shoulder. The road warriors get like cool pads and shit. I should get a crappy old duster. <laughs> I fought in one even there. 
And I'd like to fucking thank everyone for fucking coming out. I'm number fucking one. And I'm fucking, all I want to talk about is the fucking Royal Albert fucking Hall that I was fucking in a while ago. That was the fucking greatest night of my fucking life. At the Royal fucking Albert Hall, when I fucking felt fucking royalty, now I'm fucking going to do it again with the fucking Royal Rumble because I fucking, I'm just, I want to do like this because I fucking can only remember the fucking Royal Albert Hall and I'm the British Bulldog and I'm going to win the fucking belt. Own one there, I swear. <laughs> You know, I don't do a really good Jake, but uh, I always like that Jake started this out with one of my favorite songs. You know, my man, you can't always get what you want. But tonight, I'm going to get what I need. And Randy Savage, got something really special for you. Trust me or don't trust me. But you never, ever trust a snake. And I'm a snake. I'm a sneaky snake. That's why they call me Jake the Snake, because I'm a sneaky snake. And that should be a fucking song. Trust me. <laughs> Tell him, champ. Really, go ahead. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Tonight we find out I'm the fairest of them all. And I've only lived one way. Tonight I'm going to live that way. Sir, because to be the man, you got to beat the man. And tonight I'm going to be the man. That's all I got to say about that. Again, trust me, because I already cut a promo that I'm number three, and now you're watching this, and I don't know what number I am. But I'll be the last one. That's why I'm cutting this promo. Woo! Woo! It's going to be a busy night, very busy for Paul Bear, because we need 29 hearse, 29 bodies, and 29 caskets. Tell them, Undertaker. I have way too many lines. Rest in peace. Well, you know something, brother? The power of Hulkamania is going to prove one thing, that tonight, no matter who wins the Royal Rumble, the Hulkster must pose. And at the end of the night, brother, whether I'm eliminated next to last, third from last, last, without the belt, or with the belt, the last thing you're going to see in the arena, brother, is me flexing my pythons and doing what I do. And what you gonna do when the Hulkster and all his little Hulksters rumble all over you and Sid Justice? I'm looking out for you, brother, because if you sucker punch me from behind like that no good President Jack Tunney Jack, then I'm gonna sucker punch you. And Ric Flair, I don't even care about you because I want a big match at WrestleMania, brother. And that's exactly what we're setting up for tonight, Jack. So one, two, three, pairs, prayers to Manlands, and everything else that I say, Jack. Probably won't even wear this shirt out there, but IRS is going to be wearing it before it's all done. What you going to do when I rumble on you? So I went and saw um, Andrew Dice Clay. 
over the weekend with Tony Schiavone and Andrew Dice Clay said that when he got home, he was going to Richard Nixon, somebody. And I was like, I didn't understand what I was talking about. And then Tony like did his impression and it was exactly the way Hulk finished it there, which I thought was phenomenal. Rumble. Uh, I love these old school promos rapid fire like that. I wish that we would see more of them again. Uh, you guys, uh, well, I guess you didn't do it, but ECW did it m- much later to that old Iggy pop lust for life deal. And it was awesome then. And it was awesome here. How far in advance did you shoot that? Because this is an early show. I think people maybe forget that this was a 4 PM Eastern show. They probably did it that day. Probably just had everybody get there early uh, in the morning, like 10 o'clock, and just start rattling them off. I know, you know, when I was there, Vince and I would just (laughs) get everybody, had a list, and run them one right after the other. And we usually did it in order of how we wanted them to air so the guys could react to one another back and forth. There he is, boot out of the building. Vince is probably going nuts right now because his tie is out of his jacket. God damn it, Howard. Fix this tie. The fuck is that on there, birds? Of course, um, I'm a belt mark. You see the relief plate on the world. Uh, so world is a little higher than the rest of the plate. And you see those curved bars on the back or on the side there on it. And it's not the, uh, it's not the dual plated version that we saw when we most recently did WrestleMania four and five. This is all gold. Did you prefer the nickel and gold version of this belt or just the all gold? I preferred the all gold. Really? I'm the other yeah. way on it. I'm the other way. No, I like, I like the old gold. I like the, uh, the illusion that it was all gold and that, um, you were fighting for that proverbial 10 pounds of gold. Well, nobody fights for silver. So up first, of course, the British bulldog, man, I wish I knew where that vest was or that, uh, that Cape that he's wearing that union Jack Cape. That's one of the coolest things ever. Uh, his kid may have it. Does Davy Jr. Have it? I don't know. You know, I mean, I've always liked the, the sequined capes. I mean, I like the Freebird one back when that was an okay thing to like, of course, these days, maybe not the best thing to be displaying, but this yeah. British bulldog one, man, this was awesome. When I was a kid, I was a big fan of that. Well, you know what I like just in general was guys that actually wore something to the ring that looked cool. Yeah. I always loved the, I always loved Flair's robes. I love the fact that bulldog wears a good looking cape out there. It looks like he spent some money on the damn thing. There's presentation and oh, look at the beautiful sensational Sherry. You got to love her. And she put thought into every single thing that she wore. How about that dude had an airbrush sensational share well, roll tide. That dude had an airbrush sensational Sherry t-shirt. It's gotta be a one-on-one gotta be gotta be. Yes. And it, and it was because there, there were not any of those for sale. That's for damn sure. But Sherry was uh, so ahead of her time and starting this thing off with two great workers, DiBiase and Bulldog, which again, you go through this, Royal Rumble match itself in the build, man. If you start off hot and you finish hot the way that they did, the difference with this Royal Rumble and rumbles from the past, especially the first few rumbles, this was all big name top guys. Absolutely. Very hard to pick them. And Virgil. 
Virgil was over in Florida. No, I mean, I got it, but what wrong guy, but I mean, we saw earlier that Virgil was more over than Texas tornado, according to the observer. So there's that. Well, apparently according to Dave Meltzer and Howard Finkel. Yes. I feel like we should mention here that, um, coming out of this, we're going to see a Fox special and you guys did it in prime time. Uh, in Lubbock, Texas, uh, just about a week later, this is where we saw Hogan and justice teaming up against flair and undertaker and, uh, Brutus comes out with uh, Hogan and justice. Of course, w- what would you expect? But the most famous thing from that is in this taping where they have justice destroy the barbershop and he announces a new manager. So he can finally get people to boo him and it's Harvey Whippleman, which I don't think anybody would have believed a few years prior was going to be the case. No, and nobody would have believed that the million dollar man would be number two and eliminated before number three even comes out to the ring. So a lot of things that you just couldn't believe, but yeah, Harvey Whippleman and Sid justice, but in real life, you know, they were best friends and, uh, Harvey drove Sid around. So, and you it know, it works. On the one hand, you probably hate being eliminated early. On the other hand, you're probably like getting paid the same either way. See you at the bar. There you go. What a and famous now number entrance. three. What a famous entrance this is with this cameraman running to get the tight shot. Bobby Heenan losing his mind. And this is the most beautiful Ric Flair robe of all. If you know where this motherfucker is, email me Conrad at one FMC.com <laughs> trying to find this bastard for 10 years. And I can't, I'm on Twitter. Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And I need this robe and I got cash and whatnot and I'll buy it from you. So hit me up for the black and silver robe that Ric Flair is wearing right now. You know what I love about the whole Ric Flair ensemble here tonight? What's that? Simplicity. Yeah. He's wearing black trunks. Yep. He's wearing black boots with a silver RF. Those uh little boots, red trim. Those boots I used to have one of and then WWE lost it. Bastards. I know. So you've been in their pocket for a long time. Well, they asked if they could display some robes a few years ago when they did the statue of him and I said, "Sure." And they sort of gave me the Iggy. They were going to do a statue of him and wanted to know if I had anything else. And I said, well, I got a pair of trunks and I got, uh, boots and they were like, cool. We just need one boot. And I'm like, well, good. Cause all I have is singles. So I sent them a black and red one. They lost that motherfucker. Bastards. Probably in Ben Brown's house. No doubt. I wasn't gonna, <laughs> I wasn't gonna throw him under the bus, but Ben listens to the show. Hey, Ben. Send me some shit. Send me my boot, man, or something. Give him the boot back, Ben. I love Ben. Put, put the boots to me. No, I'm not mad. Listen, they gave us the tour, and, you know, it's whatever. I ain't mad. Uh, okay, let's tell the truth. It's how we're on the network. Yes, that was the deal. <laughs> we bartered. Now, listen, you some bitches. Y'all come up with that boot, or we're going to need an hour every Wednesday. You hear me? Sometimes we're going to need a little more an hour, hour and a half. So don't be editing us, or else find my boot. That's right. No, I boot. think after week three, they may show up with a boot on your doorstep. <laughs> uh, like, and, and all of a sudden, you'll have the other boot. You'll go, wait a minute. I only gave you one. No, we got you the other one too, man. But your show's fucking over. That's it. <laughs> We're done. We, do, we fulfilled our commitment. We're done. It's awesome. All right. So let's check. Let's check Jerry Sags for uh, knots on his head. And he was hit with jumper cables, right? Yes. He was hit in the head with jumper cables, had a two inch gash, and uh, given a concussion. Well, he's not going to be in here too damn long because and that, and, and again, man, I, I actually wrote out 
the rumble as I watched it before and did it as, a, as if I was writing it out way back when, when I actually used to do this shit. And the, just the flow in the story, it's absolutely terrific. You got two heels in there working on a baby face and you, you watch, you know, Ric Flair, that tradition would tell you that Flair should have laid low through the whole thing. But what made Ric Flair, Ric Flair is the way that he worked this match. He busted his ass throughout the whole damn thing and fought for the championship. So even as a heel at the end of the night, you respected what he did and felt he deserved it. Foot and double, double clothesline. What's the foot and clothesline? And you got your foot and ass kicked by three foot and guys in a, in a foot and Chevette. In a foot and Chevette. Who the fuck gets the ass kicked by somebody that fucking drives a Chevette? Fuck it. And truth be told, Jerry Sags is another real legit badass motherfucker. <laughs> that if he hit you one time, you'd be feeling it. That's what I was going to say is between the two. Much, I know you'd much rather fuck with knobs than sags, right? Exactly. You could outrun knobs. You got a pretty good chance of that, but Jerry is somebody. Yeah. I wouldn't want to fuck with Jerry sags. I want to fuck with, I don't want to fuck with anybody, man. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Eh. The hell's that for? I'm not a lover. Speaking I'm, of fighters. Here we go. It's your man. Haku. He's going to come in and bite chunks out of motherfuckers faces. If he wanted to, he sure as fuck good. He lets everybody know that he's in there. They started doing, um, after this, uh, Fox special, they start doing the stretcher gimmick for Sid justice, which he had actually started as Sid vicious in WCW. What was the first time you remember seeing guys wheeled around on stretchers? Like Sid was, he's the first guy I saw it, but I know way back in the day, Ox Baker had it right. It was like Ox Baker's carry out service or something like that. Ox Baker's carryout service started in Houston, Texas. It was a gimmick that Paul Bosch gave him, and it was a, a big old army stretcher that had to be carried by like four guys. And they just took a stencil and did the Ox Baker carryout service because Ox had the heart punch, and he give you the heart punch. And the only way to leave the ring was on a stretcher and got over like a million bucks. But uh, that's one thing I had an opportunity probably in 1980, 81 to take the stretcher. And I didn't. And I left it there thinking that I was doing the right thing and someone else took it and stole it. It was actually sold at, uh, the NWA legends fan fest by blind auction a few years ago in Charlotte. Seriously. Yeah. It popped up and I thought it was the coolest thing ever, but I was leaving before it finished. I don't know where it actually wound up, but. I would have been fucking all about it, dude. I wonder how they got it because it was in the Sam Houston Coliseum underneath the, uh, mezzanine section. And then it disappeared one day. If you want to see a picture of what we're talking about, uh, cruise over, uh, to our Instagram and we'll have it live by the time, uh, this airs. And there goes Haku, by God, right on the two-second spot, back to the first two guys, well, at least uh, number one and number three, and the heartbreak kid. This is pretty damn cool shit, because you think about it, Shawn Michaels and Bulldog would go on from here to have some of the most great rivalry, some of the great matches ever in the history, 
and Sean would be the one who would eventually retire Ric Flair. It's kind of fun to go back and look at this through those eyes, is it not? Oh my gosh, it's 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 incredible because they're doing the same spots they did in their match. Oh, there was a super kick. Uh, not quite the, Rick right in the same spot <laughs> he was for the last match. But yes, and you, you think about where everybody went, and you know, twenty years later and twenty five years later, it's absolutely amazing. And Sean was a bumping son of a bitch there, but he ain't going out just yet. And that's why we had the confidence in him to to go through and do the spot where he never hit the floor. And champ there just, you know, again, letting everybody know. And I, I think, you know, again, I've, I've listened to guys in the business talk about what a horrible display this was of Rick because, you know, Rick fought through the whole thing. And I see that point, but also I just look at it and go, yeah, but he made it exciting <laughs> and made it a fight. And at the end of the night, he won the damn thing. And I thought it was cool. Sean trying to get up on that top rope. Nice little ouchie. When was the last time you rode the ropes like that, Conrad? Uh, I've never actually done anything like this. Is it a surprise to you that I've, uh, I, I think I've only actually been inside a ring twice. I was too, too many. Where? Uh, once in Chattanooga. Um, no, yeah, Dalton rather, and then once in um, some WWF pay per view beforehand. Oh, and April, why'd you get in the ring? April twenty sixteen, Kansas wanted to take a picture, my daughter, and uh, Rick All was right. like, "We'll just get in there." I was like, "I'm not getting in there." And he was like, "I oh, got to let her in. Go let her in." I was like, "I don't belong in there." He's like, "Will you stop? Just go do it." So yeah, we took a picture of Kansas uh, underneath the Titan Tron in the ring, and it was like the coolest thing ever. She's super happy. Well, that's a good thing to make kids super happy. Yeah. That's what we do, Conrad. We put smiles on people's faces. I mean, we are with the WWE now, right? I mean, that's, that's our, our business mantra smiles on people's faces, which really this week, they sort of got an overdose with something else to wrestle last night. Now this show today, and then tomorrow unforgiven 98, a lot going on at something to wrestle.com. Don't you think? Absolutely. And that's, it's just what we do, man. That's our mantra. That's our deal. We, we make people smile. That didn't make Tito Santana smile. That's a, and again, as I was saying before, man, you look at the level of talent in the ring right now, the British bulldog, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels, Tito Santana, every single one of them, especially in 1992, I can buy, they can be the WWF champion. Anybody could win the damn thing. I want to mention here something else fun that happened on this Fox special that happens about a week later, Roddy Piper beat the Mountie to keep the intercontinental title belt. But here's what's funny. Mountie threw a bucket of water on Piper and tried to zap him, but it had no effect. And Piper ended up pinning Mountie. And then it was revealed that Piper was wearing a wetsuit under his wrestling gear, which is why the zapping had no effect. This is where we are. <laughs> I had a feeling he was going to try and zap me. That's why I got a zap proof suit. One of the wet suit was a zap proof suit. Here's your boy. He is my boy. Tommy young. 
Barb- if only Tommy Young were in here. Barbarian, one of the more underrated guys. It feels like everybody just talks about Haku. Nobody talks about Barb. Well, you know, Barb was here's the funny thing about Barb. I think that at the time there was a guy by the name of T. Joe Khan or TJ Khan. I thought it was T. Joe Khan. I don't know. Um that people for some reason they would get the barbarian and this TJ Khan, T. Joe Khan confused. So for a long time, people were booking this other guy thinking they were getting the barbarian. And for whatever reason, man, Barb always got overlooked, but, uh, unbelievable worker, unbelievable look. And he always needed a manager. He needs somebody to talk for him, but he could go. That's for damn sure. And very believable. I was supposed to manage him when I went to WCW in 1992 before I came back to uh, WWE. Let me ask you this. You know, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier. WrestleMania eight's coming around the corner. Of course it's in Indianapolis and allegedly the WWF planned to start marketing the event with an advertising campaign centered around Indiana's favorite Bobby. And they would have Bobby Heenan dress up like Bobby Knight to promote WrestleMania. Did you ever see that? Yes, I did. what did you think of that? I thought it was great because Bobby Knight was a huge fan and Bobby Heenan was a huge fan of Bobby Knight and vice versa. So, um, I thought it was pretty damn cool. And people in Indiana, they love their Bobby Knight. Right. When you were saying that, I almost said, yeah, yeah. Bobby Fisher and Bobby Heenan, but Bobby Fisher was the chess guy. Action Jackson got a tryout about a month after this, and they were doing a PN news rapper style gimmick that seemingly got over with the local crowd. Did you ever hear anything about action Jackson trying to come in with a rap gimmick? No, I didn't. I, I knew Perry and Perry was a friend of, uh, the undertakers and I'll never forget Perry had sent us a tape to show Vince and show the powers that be up there. And he cuts a promo and he was talking to, he said, he goes, he says, let me tell you something, action Jackson. I got some special stimulations for this matchup coming. And we just looked at each other and said, yeah, maybe we don't need to show Vince this tape and the Ric Flair bump with the Texas tornado. By God, Vince hated that bump. And I started to count how many times Rick did it in this match. And then I just lost count. You know, what's funny though, is right behind that, you know, Texas tornado does the discus punch on Shawn Michaels. And he literally turns the flip and his vest, <laughs> Mr. Perfect impression. Well, yeah. When you get hit with a tornado punch, it kind of spins your body into a tornado. It's just, it has that effect. It's funny to me though, that Vince has a problem when flair does it, something silly like that, but not when Sean does it. Well, no, he, he, it's not necessarily the, it's, it's the one face bump where nothing touches him. Also it's a delayed cell. I also want to mention here. Um, I mean, we've talked about it briefly, but I don't know that everybody watching this probably knows. Kerry Von Eric's working here with a fucking fake foot and you can't tell. Nope. It's impressive. Very. You know, I think that some people just sort of uh, have fun with that and they don't really appreciate how difficult this must have been to be out here with one foot. And if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. You know, I was there and I didn't know. I mean, obviously wasn't here for this night, but I was there with Carrie and I didn't know. It's amazing. Getting the countdown here, a little Titan time action. Whose idea was it to put the uh, clock on screen? 
We figured it out after the after the first rumble because people got more involved. The way to get them more involved. The other thing happening here was no music. Right. And I thought it worked pretty damn well because of the guys' reactions, and it was it worked. But I do think the music adds something to the match and makes it a lot more dramatic. It's worth mentioning, I guess, that the entrance set here, nothing like what we have today. So not only is there no music, but it's just a fucking blue curtain with the logo, the WWF logo above it. And that's it. Well, the logo was a big deal, man. That was, uh, man, that was big time. That was a big time entrance set. It's amazing how it has grown. You go back to look at the old TV, same thing. They just came through the crowd and all the security around them and everything. So it's, uh, definitely changed and aged very well. Look at the talent that we've had in here so far. DiBiase has been thrown out, but we've got one half of the old demolition, Tito Santana, barbarian, Sean Michaels, Texas tornado, Ric Flair. So many, I mean, this is, uh, probably the most loaded. I think this in 97, I mean, you might be able to argue that one of those attitude era ones was ridiculous, but what talent here now repo man. We've talked about him briefly before. This motherfucker lost a bet. Did he not? What bet did he lose? I don't That's know. A great, it's a great, it's a great gimmick. What's what's mine is mine. And what's yours is mine too. I mean, come on. Everybody's afraid of the repo man. Don't you have nightmares at night fearing the repo man coming and just picking up one of your BMWs? I, I only have one BMW, but I, I didn't fear it because I went to save with Bruce.com. And if you go to save with Bruce.com, not only can we help you get a better mortgage and we're talking paying less interest at the same time, we can help you with all your other debt too. Maybe you do have a BMW payment. Maybe you got some credit card debt. Maybe you're looking to do a little remodeling, or maybe you're still a renter. It's time you bought a house with no money down. We can make it happen for you right now at save with Bruce.com. You don't need perfect credit. Even scores in the five hundreds will qualify but best of all, you don't need money out of your pocket to see what we can do for you. If we can't save you cash, we won't waste your time. It's savewithbruce.com. And Bruce, you know the rest of that. Well, absolutely. And we're going to hammer your payments down. And uh, I'm even using it right now, Conrad. I'm going to savewithbruce.com to redo my mortgage. And uh, we're an equal housing lender, NMLS number 65084. I guess it's worth mentioning. We've actually helped a lot of folks in the business. There's some, yeah, uh, some office executives, some referees, some people you see on Monday, some people you see on Tuesday. Um, lots of folks have used save with Bruce and we're getting high marks all across the board. We're getting five stars as a friend of mine might say. He ain't got no friends. Tony Schiavone is my friend. I'm your friend. You just said, I, I thought I was one. your only friend. Well, I was. And then you quit hanging out with me. Well, no, that's not true. No, you got the big head. You, when we won that second podcast of the year award, you just went to, I, I respond to every 10th text and, and well, then, I got a belt. I got a belt too. And then you told me recently, and this is my favorite. No, when I don't reply to a text, that means yes. Yeah. Which I just think is tremendous. <laughs> no, no reply means yes. If I reply, then it's a no. Okay. Yeah. It, no reply within 36 hours is, is either a yes, or I didn't, I read it too fast and something else came in quick. That's what happens to me. Sometimes the attention span thing on me in my old age. I love, I love these guys are uh, Sean is dangling, but Carrie's holding on to him, making sure he doesn't fall. And so much of this too, as much as I love this Royal rumble. Now I'll, I'll nitpick 
some of these spots waiting for things to happen is guys just in corners punching and kicking each other. And they've changed all that. But now, Nikolai. I just thought everyone should stand for the national anthem. Well, people were standing, uh, when Eddie Gilbert and Medusa got married on a Wednesday night wedding near Atlanta around this same time. Uh, what was the, uh, the word on the street when you found out that Medusa and Eddie Gilbert were getting married? I was told in the parking lot of the Econo Lodge in Dallas, Texas, uh, near DFW airport is we were leaving, uh, Eddie and I had gotten together in, um, global wrestling federation. And as we were leaving, Eddie says to me, he goes, Oh yeah. Hey Bruce, uh, I'm getting married. Really? To who? Hey, he says, Deborah, Deborah, who was Medusa son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> So that's how I found out. I was, uh, I didn't even know that they had been dating at that time, but you do quickly. Oh, Nikolai's out. He was my favorite. I thought he was going to win. He's going to, uh, set up that hot plate and hit the grocery stores. Well, you know, Hey, let's run through what happened in February. Uh, it's in the observer that the uh, locker room was raided in St. Louis by more than half a dozen plane cops, a drug dog, and a federal agent looking for the dope main. Uh, nobody was arrested, but the word on the street is that the boys got the heads up that this was coming more than an hour in advance. So everyone holding made arrangements and it became a non issue. Chat me up, Bruce. When you first heard this, you had to be shitting your britches, didn't you? I've sh- I wasn't shitting my britches. I wasn't there, man. I ain't holding nothing. I'm just saying. When you find out that the, uh, the cops are coming to wrestling locker rooms, that's not normal. No, it must've been, you know, things like that. That's gotta be somebody tipping somebody off and having a vendetta or having something that they want to get back. That's not normal. That's not something that St. Louis cops are just going to all of a sudden decide they want to do one day. I ran into uh, a guy years ago and I asked him about this because a drug raid in a WWF locker room is pretty noteworthy, especially when they're bringing federal agents and plainclothes cops and a drug dog. But uh, this fellow told me that someone on the roster who I probably shouldn't name actually took his drugs and put them in another guy's bag rather than, you know, flushing it or figuring something else, just. Oh, if they're coming, fuck this. I'm putting this over here. Ultimately though, no arrests were made. And the WWF was about that action boss. They suspended Hawk of Legion of doom, Kerry Von Eric and Jimmy Snuka. Uh, Fritz supposedly called Vince around this same time and said that Kerry needed rehab and was going to send him to Betty Ford. And a lot of people are, are sort of curious about what's going on with uh, the Legion of doom and Titan just one month after this show. But Snuka was suspended indefinitely, allegedly because of unprofessional conduct. But this isn't because he killed the chick. What did he do here? I have no idea. I wasn't there. I don't know what he did. What did he allegedly do? I don't know. You know, I mean, I just know that he had had allegedly a lot of hotel incidents where, you know, he would be naked and screaming and drugged out of his head and just all kinds of craziness. Did you ever hear of any? silliness like that with snooker 
you know, I think everybody had heard all the rumor and innuendo. I never experienced any of it. And by the time that Jimmy had come back, at least during my time there, Jimmy was pretty damn normal and doing fine. And I, I left 1991 in May and Jimmy was pretty much still kind of on the honeymoon during that time. And this, you know, looking at this with Hercules coming in, working on flair over in the corner. When I first saw this, I thought it was Ted Arcidi. It's worth mentioning a month later, Hercules is out. And so is Greg Valentine. Valentine's going to wind up landing in WCW. And eventually we would see Hercules there with a silly ass gimmick as well. What was Hercules a silly ass gimmick? You know, they brought him out in like all red and he was wearing a mask and he had Harley race as a manager. You don't remember any of this? I don't, I, you know, man, when I left and I was doing global, I, I was at a point where I thought, okay, I'm going to do this for a while and just, uh, not really care much. They called him super invader. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, they just called him eliminated right there. <laughs> By God, well, now yeah. the big boss man. If you ever go down to Cobb County, Georgia, yeah, we're looking I forward to covering Flair. the boss man soon, which will be fun. Yes, absolutely. And I love every time that Flair gets into a spot, uh, he just goes right for the eye gouge. It works every time. And if you, you know, again, I, I talk about this, and this is the one spot coming up here in a sec that I love about this. Royal rumble nearly takes Flair's, his head off. Oh yeah. And, and Flair's gone through everybody and everything. We're midway through. He's finally got the ring to himself. He does the bump that Vince hates. It's I can finally rest. Oh my God. Just, you know, send the Brooklyn brawler out anybody, anything. I'm going to sit up. I'm going to catch my breath. All is good with the world. Two, one, and he looks up and holy shit. And here comes Piper just running his ass off. And Flair's reaction is fucking priceless. It just tells the story and the match starts all over again. A masterful performance here. And it really was a little bit of a, a nod to old Jim Crockett fans, because a lot of these moments that we see with flair are really reprising old feuds. Of course, these guys had a hell of a feud in Jim Crockett promotions, So it's pretty cool when, um, he's here at the buzzer. It's all, it's reminiscent of course, in hindsight of when Steve Austin was clearing the ring out and exhausted, but all by himself and ready for the next guy. And it could be anybody, but it's Bret Hart who he had just been feuding with sort of the same thing. And who do you think stole that from this? <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was the same thing, you know, where uh, we'd gone back and looked at different things. And that one spot always stuck with me. And it's all about the guy in the ring and how they sell it and the facials that, that make it work so damn well. And Roddy was the first one that Rick worked with when he came into WWE and they had their program right off the top. So to the WWE fans, this is you know, the reminiscence of that. And it was just, they had such great chemistry, great friends, but this is good shit. This is just good storytelling to me. And now I'm going to put on the world shittiest uh, sleeper again. While you're doing that, I want to do a follow-up here. Uh, while Kerry was indeed suspended, he didn't go to rehab. 
Instead, he was arrested at midnight at an Eckerd's drugstore in the suburbs of Dallas on two felony counts of obtaining drugs by passing forged prescriptions. And each uh, count carried a two to 10 year sentence and a $5,000 fine. So he could go to rehab and get out of this most likely. But the snot thickens when the police realize that Kerry gave them bullshit info for his address and phone number. And of course he did this to hide it from his wife. When she finds out the marriage is broken and he winds up in rehab after all, uh, Kevin Von Erich told the news that Kerry had entered a drug rehabilitation center on Monday because of the problems resulting from the breakup of his marriage. And nobody really knew what the future of him with the company would be, but it certainly looked bleak here. Is Kerry Von Eric one of the most tragic stories in wrestling? I mean, what a great look, all the potential in the world. Just can't quite get it together. I think the Von Eric family, unfortunately, was was just a tragic story all the way around. And and it was just it was just sad. And I was, you know, working Dallas during that time. So I was hearing all of it then and from their vantage point. And it was just a terrible, terrible, tragic story. He returned in August of 92, or he returned after WrestleMania, but he was gone by August of 92. This Jake Roberts that we see here, the heel version, this t- these tights and these heel promos, this is one of my favorite versions of Jake. I've always enjoyed uh, this Jake that we saw, you know, doing the stuff in the summer of 91 with, with Savage and all the way through to the finish here when he's going to be done right after WrestleMania. Because it was good, evil Jake. Yeah. <laughs> it was that evil, dark, sick Jake. And, and my second favorite spot in the match was when Jake came out and didn't jump right in the ring. Let him continue fighting until he picked his spot. But this was the masterful Jake that I, same thing. I enjoyed the hell out of all the stuff that he did with warrior, the stuff he did with undertaker. Um, it was evil and he felt evil. While you're doing that, let me ask you, there's rumor and innuendo that, uh, they were looking for a special guest referee for Sid and Hogan at WrestleMania and Bob Arum's top ranked promotion boxing, of course, confirmed that they receive an offer from the WWF for George Foreman to be the guest referee at WrestleMania and Bob loved the idea, but Foreman turned it down. So allegedly you guys, I guess you weren't there at the time. The company was looking for other people and Lou Ferrigno was tossed around. Do you remember ever hearing about George Foreman, maybe being an opportunity to, uh, be at a WrestleMania like this? There've been a lot of opportunities for George Foreman. So it doesn't surprise me at all because Foreman and Hulk had the same lawyer, Henry Holmes. They had the same, uh, the same lawyer agent slash whatever that handled all of their stuff. So that doesn't surprise me at all. It doesn't surprise me that Hogan probably helped negotiate that a little bit and, and ask George, but we've tried a few different times with George to do different things. So that wouldn't shock me at all. On February 15th, the company ran Orlando and saw Hogan and Piper beat Flair and Undertaker. Only 4,600 fans there, but there was a little bit of a snafu when Flair accidentally hit Undertaker. Undertaker just walked out and Flair was left by himself. And it's actually the first clean job that Flair does in the entire run here in the company. And it goes down on February 15th. So they let him be unbeaten and perfect 
pardon the pun and still until February 15th, which is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, again, it's, it's a different time and house shows. The, we didn't have the internet then the internet hadn't been invented yet. So it wasn't other than Dave Meltzer and, and his subscription people reading his magazine. No one really knew fans were sort of tiring of Hulk Hogan here. Uh, he was universally cheered in some markets, but in other markets, not so much, uh, even in New York, supposedly at the Nassau Coliseum, when they announced that he's going to be coming back and even in St. Louis, there's a lot of booze and silence. Do you think at this point, people had just grown tired of it much like they have maybe John Cena? Well, I think that the answer to your question is yes. They, they had grown tired of the baby face and the, the, the same, you know, the same promos, the same match, the same everything. And they wanted something different. I think they wanted the either a heel. They just wanted something different from him or for him to go away. One of the two. And I think that sometimes that, that happens. You either get to the point to where you get beyond that, move on, or you get to the point where it just gets disgusting after a while. And I think Cena, people appreciate Cena when he comes out now and they're entertained by him at this time with Hulk. I think people were just tiring of it. Wanted something new. They might have wanted something new on February 17th in Tampa. They drew 10,000 fans, which is about 1500 shy capacity. This is from the observer. And Dave wrote the main bouts were supposed to be Hogan versus flair, which did take place, but may have been their worst match so far. Flair did one of the great interviews of his career for six minutes, showing a photo of himself with Elizabeth from years back and claiming that he dumped Liz a long time ago. Hogan done an interview where he compared himself or compared Sid rather to Jeffrey Dahmer and Charles Manson and talked about his match in the Pontiac Hoosier dome. It's not a thing. Uh, and said he's such a star, they didn't even make him retape it. So we saw Hogan sort of struggle with that a few years ago in WrestleMania, but apparently he made the same mistake when he compared the Hoosier Dome with the WrestleMania three facility. A dome is a dome is a dome, brother. Whether it be the Superdome, the Pontiac Dome, the Hoosier Dome, the Astrodome, it's a dome, brother. If the Hulkster's in it, brother. Sky Dome, Star Domes are domes. Business was down, according to the Toy and Hobby World magazine. The February issue had a little plug about wrestling toys, and it says that even though the WWF had added a bunch of new licenses at the start of 92, seven of them, in fact, toy sales were way down for them in 1991, which a lot of people, of course, are contributing to reduced television ratings. How bad do you think business was turning here? say at the start of 92 compared to the start of 91. You know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to answer that because I wasn't there. And I think that overall, you know, the, the, the big business stuff, it was there. The, the pay-per-view was still there. They were still doing good for their TVs and for their, their pay-per-views and their house shows. And that's what they were looking at. Um, you know, it took a few years before it got bad and everybody really took note. But here, when you can come in into Albany and do a sellout gate like this, it's not all that bad. And a lot of those houses were, were still pretty good business for house shows. 
So it at that time, I, I don't really know how it was. And as far as ratings go, that 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 holds zero water because it was the majority of it was all syndication and cable. I guarantee if you go back and look at the cable numbers of, of primetime and things like that, that they were number one in their nights. But there weren't really, you know, JR could massage the Arbitron ratings for syndication unlike anyone I've ever seen. So that can be manipulated in any way you want to. Oh, yes. I'm glad you mentioned um, The Undertaker here because one of the the very first TV tapings after this, they're going to do it in Amarillo and they do a funeral parlor that most everybody watching probably remembers. It's where Jake Roberts was threatening Paul Bear. So The Undertaker comes out and he comes out of the coffin, but then Roberts slams the coffin door shut on his hand and gives Bear the DDT. And Roberts uh, hits The Undertaker with a series of chair shots. He just flinches. And The Undertaker is then dragging the coffin. As he chases Jake away, what are the more famous bits in the history of the funeral parlor for sure? I thought it was great. Now, the only I don't I remember Undertaker dragging the casket behind him, which was the just the visual of that will haunt everybody forever. It was great, great stuff. Did Jake actually do the thing where he took the tool and sucked all the air out, so you got the? I don't remember. See, that's, you know, to me, it's, it's not, <laughs> I don't know where Vince got that from, but in Vince's mind that when they locked the, the casket, that it sucked all the air out, you know, why not? The undertaker can throw lightning, you know? Well, he learned it from his baby brother, Kane, who set cameraman on fire. Yes. Reality base, pal. After this, uh, Royal rumble is in the books. There is a debate as to who's going to get the title shot. And they do a press conference thing, which Meltzer says is the most realistic they've ever done with a lot of employees pretending to be reporters and nobody's ever done anything like this in the country before. And he says, and if it wasn't clear before, it's evident now that Hogan is off steroids. And if you compare him to even last year, let alone his muscular peak through 1987, uh, what'd you think of the press conference? I think a lot of people remember this is with the blue pipe and drape. You got Jack Tony making an announcement. Sid's furious. What'd you think of the press conference and Melter, Meltzer's comments about Hogan's size here? I, you know, I, I'm not going to comment on Hogan's size. I don't really remember. And here in the Rumble, I thought he looked great. So I have, I have no idea what Dave is making reference to. I, I do remember, you know, them doing the press conference and stuff. And I thought they always did that kind of stuff really well. Looked good on TV, made it look like a big deal, and it was a big deal. So I thought it was good. Lots of steroid drama, as we mentioned earlier, with superstar Billy Graham and David Schultz and Zahorian. Tell everybody where we are, Bruce. We've had uh, a couple of pauses here where our internet has stalled one way or another. We want to make sure everybody's keeping up. Well, right now we're at about 209.53 with the macho man, Randy Savage, choking Jake the snake on the outside. Undertaker's got a handful of macho hair. Uh-huh. Easy on the hair there, brother. And uh, Undertaker outside walloping the macho man, Randy Savage. Uh-huh. Barry Orton was on Las Vegas radio making allegations that he had to... Um, Engage in homosexual activity in order to get hired on here. 
this is when some of that stuff started to pop up. What's the rumor mill swirling like in the, you know, outside, of course you're not there, so you can't speak to that, but from the outside, is that sort of rumor and innuendo getting more and more hard to ignore? Well, the, you know, the guys were getting out there, obviously Meltzer's reporting it, but you also had people like Donahue and you had the, the news, um, God, current affairs tabloid shows like that, that were reporting a bunch of crap and everything. See, again, what is hard to digest is when you're there and you've been around it and you know that, okay, well, it just doesn't ring true. And the people that have been there and that have been around it and actually truly experienced it can make the distinction between rumor and innuendo and possible fact. So it just, um, a lot of that stuff that, that I heard, especially with Barry O it, again, man, I wasn't there with any of that. So I have no idea, but it didn't ring true. Let's talk about something that else that was in the newsletter at the time. I couldn't believe, um, several pages into the observer around this time, it's reported that Hulk Hogan has indeed been negotiating with new Japan pro wrestling. No deal was signed, but there were people saying that Hogan had agreed to a two year deal with three appearances per year at a hundred thousand dollars a shot. Now, of course, this would happen once he retired from the WWF. And according to, uh, new Japan, they expected his retirement to be imminent. And if you remember on the build to WrestleMania eight, they start to really hype up that this might be, it. he's not sure. Meltzer says at this point, I'm still betting on Hogan, taking the summer off and coming back and winning the title and sticking around until the following WrestleMania, but the process may speed up. So he had it nailed. Hogan is going to win the title, but it's going to happen the next year at WrestleMania. At this point, from the outside, you're in Texas. Did you think this was going to be it for Hogan and he might just do a handful of shots in New Japan and just try to do the Hollywood gig? For me, no. I, I thought that uh, it was pretty much talk. And I think that guys had worked themselves into a shoot a little bit and that the speculation was there because Hulk would feed into that a lot of times, telling people, hey, brother, I'm going to retire. I'm done after this. And he would feed into a lot of that. So when that's all you're hearing, then, yeah, I can see where people were like going, hey, man, he's he's done. He's done after this. And then they fill in the blanks with everything else. So it must be this. And he must have a deal here. I heard it was for $50,000. I heard it was for $100,000. it's, you know, telephone, telegraph, tele wrestler, and it, and it grows from there. Meltzer would call this Royal rumble, the Ric Flair show in the newsletter. And overall it got 84.1% thumbs up 10.3% thumbs down and 5.6% thumbs in the middle. This is thumbs up all day. Is it not the, the match itself thumbs up hundred percent. And other than the bushwhacker match, the other matches on the, on the card weren't bad, maybe a little bit long, but this Royal Rumble match itself, I'm all the way, can't believe I'm saying this, all the way, two thumbs up. Well, listen, I, I'm not going to say it was two thumbs Virgil, up. Virgil, Virgil, it's Virgil, it's Virgil, Virgil's out, Virgil's coming to get him some. Some fuck money and some meat sauce, and there he goes, taking it to the man, wanting him to pay his taxes. He paying his taxes on his autograph money, leave him little. No, you need directions to my autograph table. 
twenty dollars. It's worth mentioning the uh, best match poll. The Royal Rumble wins hands down. New Foundation Orient Express come in second. Worst match overall, of course, Bushwhackers and Beverly Brothers, followed by LOD and Natural Disasters. Although Bushwhackers, hands down, worst match of the night. Well, but it was fun, and you got and you got to see uh, Jameson blow boogers into a sock, which is a main event attraction anywhere in the world. You know it. You know it. It would be headlining headlining uh, Berlin, France, right now. I feel like we should uh, also catch everybody up that Flair here is going to be the first man to ever actually win both the WWF and NWA World Titles, and um, the show drew a legit full house of seventeen thousand fans. And Meltzer would call it designed to be and turned out to be Flair's one man performance coming in at the uh, into the Rumble at the two minute mark. And being there until the end came one hour and two seconds later. The only other development out of the show was the beginning of the Sid justice heel turn on Hulk Hogan at the end of the rumble. Ironically, while this didn't come across strong on television, those live said that justice received a total baby face reaction for turning on Hogan and Hogan was heavily booed at the end of the show without the announcers giving the one, the impression that it was justice who turned those in the build it sawing as justice throwing Hogan out which some would have thought would have been enough to turn heel considering Hogan's strong babyface persona persona, but wasn't live, which was legal in an every man for himself. But then Hogan, who had been eliminated, teaming with Flair a heel to dump justice, the last remaining babyface in the ring, and allow a heel to win the title. This of course set up the Flair Hogan main event at WrestleMania, with Hogan still scheduled to take time off after WrestleMania through SummerSlam. Doesn't seem to make any sense to Dave that he'll win the title on that show. But of course we know none of that actually happened, but Dave's sort of freestyling that they were really trying to build a Hogan justice for SummerSlam or maybe stretch it out for the 93 WrestleMania. And at this point, right after the show, Meltzer believed like everybody else, especially considering, you know, they did a press conference saying that Hogan was getting a title shot. But that's what we were going to see at WrestleMania, but it wasn't to be. No, and and I disagree because watching it, even on TV, I thought that Hulk came off like a heel. And Sid, you know, I mean, Sid was, pardon the pun, justified in what he did. Yeah. It's every man for himself. You eliminate, you eliminate Hogan. What the hell? And then Hogan pulling him over the top and holding on to his hand. It's like, what? It, it goes back to the survivor series and Hogan must pose. It made no sense. And Ric Flair being to me, that was a baby face move on Ric Flair's part. He's smart. <laughs> Here's a guy hanging over, got a guy on the outside, pulling him in. I'm going to dump his ass. So uh, watching it, even, you know, all these years later, it still came across to me the opposite way. And that Sid was justified and that, it just made no sense to me. It just, it, it made no sense. Now, if you'd done it the other way and had Hogan dump Sid, I think that the audience still would have booed because they liked Sid. But if Sid had held Hogan, at least that would have been more heelish to me and have Flair dump Hogan. But Monday morning quarterback all day long. 
Melsword right as battle Royals go, this one was overall one of the better ones I've ever seen because there were several storylines to stay interested in instead of it being mumbo jumbo brawling without any purpose. They also couldn't have put flair over any bigger as a worthy champion four and three quarter stars. Meltzer absolutely loved it. Well, and you know, they Rick flair got himself over in this battle Royal Rick flair went out and busted his ass and like I said, he could have sat back and done a whole lot of nothing, but instead he entered every single guy in the Royal rumble touched Ric Flair and vice versa. So everybody was out there trying to get him out and he survived and he, he fought for it. So in that storyline, being able to build Flair as a credible champion, whoever's going to beat him is beating somebody. And to that, it's masterful because that's a difficult task sometimes, especially in a battle Royal Royal rumble atmosphere. And you see Rick Martell, who again is another one of the most underrated wrestlers ever because Martell could work with anybody and make everybody look good. Bruce, let's take some questions. We, uh, we post some questions on Facebook and Twitter for fans, and I've got some rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. Philip wants to know, Bruce, since you weren't there for this pay-per-view, when did you watch it? And what is the craziest rumor you've heard about this show? I watched it. I watched it live and God, all these years later, I don't remember really any, any crazy rumors on the show per se. I think everybody kind of knew that it was flair's night. Where did you watch it? Were you at the house or with friends or what was the, do you remember? I bought it at the house and had the guy come in and give me the box so that I could watch it at my house. David wants to know, is the rumble match Bobby Heenan's greatest performance ever on commentary? Bar none. Anybody that wants to be a color commentary should go and listen to his storytelling throughout the night, getting everyone over in the main story. Colby wants to know how far in advance would a wrestler be notified that he was going to be the Iron Man and be in the match for an extended period of time. And was this selection always based on their current stamina or would a wrestler have the chance to train extra to get in shape for that specific role? Well, storyline would dictate a lot of it. And Pat and I, when Pat and I did it, we would let the guys know. Usually if we had an idea, we'd probably ask them a couple weeks. Hey, what do you think about? spending 40 minutes in the Royal rumble. And you're only going to do that with someone that you have confidence that can actually do it. And if they know ahead of time, maybe they can do a little extra cardio, what have you, but, uh, we would let them know ahead of time. Ryan wants to know why did they start having entrance music? Because it added to the drama of the match. Paul wants to know, in your opinion, is the post-match victory promo, the best Ric Flair promo of all time? <laughs> uh, I thought it was good. Um, I think there's a lot of Ric Flair promos that people can point to and say, God damn, that was good. But this one was definitely memorable. What's your favorite? Yeah. Um, God, you know, I think I, I go back and listening to the whole buildup to Rick's last match. Some of those promos were absolutely classic and, and they, they had so much emotion to them because they were real and you felt it. Um, here's a fun one. The Mounties intercontinental title reign. Was it just a rib? Not a rib. Now, Aaron wants to know, was there a year when it was highly considered slash almost happened that a not top guy was set to be the winner? And if so, who was it? 
No, because after this, when we when we got to WrestleMania nine, uh, with the the Royal Rumble right before that, the fact that the winner would be in the main event at WrestleMania, we talked about doing unknown. And actually that first one we talked about doing it with Scott Steiner. Um, but it had, it had to make sense to get us to WrestleMania. Um, let's talk about the poster. One of the most iconic things ever. David wants to know any stories on working with Marvel comic artist, Joe Jesco, who drew the iconic early Royal rumble posters. Just the, the first one that he did was so damn good that Vince loved it. And we, we went back for, did we do it two years or three years in a row? But we went back to it and that was one of the first times that Vince ever went back to something like that. How did you guys find him? Was he a fan and, and pitched it or did somebody have the idea of having a comic book guy do it? Creative services reached out and creative services had the concept and reached out to him to do it. They were, they're excellent. They're one of the few posters that I actually have up in my house. <laughs> Andres wants to know question won't be answered, but screw it. How big's Batista's dick? So Piper there with a nice uh, bite of Ric Flair's head. Jason and says, Flair goes back to the eyes. Jason says when Hogan lost the match, the audience cheered, but when they replayed on TV, they dub in booze to make Sid a heel for doing it. How often does this happen? Any other instances you can think of besides every Roman Reigns entrance? What are y'all watching? I watched it on the network and I didn't hear. I mean, I heard the cheers. You see the people pop and I heard cheers when Hogan got eliminated. So I, I think that that's, you know, for television and things, when we used to, uh, tape things, we would definitely put in cheers and booze. Okay, where they didn't exist before. But man, I heard the cheers when Hogan got eliminated. So uh, I don't know. Maybe y'all are watching some other feed. Dante can clear it up for us. He says, ask Bruce about the main event the following week, how they re edited Gorilla and, and Bobby's Rumble dialogue to portray Sid as the villain when it was clear that Hogan was the wrestler being booed at the Rumble's conclusion. You can still watch both versions on the WWE network. And there's totally different commentary between the two. I have no idea. I wasn't there. Vladimir wants to know what was the reaction in the business about flair coming to New York with the big gold belt? I think most people were, I think most people thought it was work and most people thought it was, you know, kind of cooperation. But at the same time, it was like a, Ooh, shit. And it it was a pretty damn big deal to those of us in the business. I was unemployed at the time, or as Vince likes to say on hiatus, but I remember it vividly. Rashad wants to know what was Jack Tunney's non kayfabe role behind the scenes. Jack Tunney was the promoter in uh, Canada in Toronto and the area around Canada. Jesse wants to know why did all the best pay-per-views happen when Bruce was fired? SummerSlam 91, Survivor Series 91, Royal Rumble 92, Mania 8, SummerSlam 92, and then Bruce comes back and we get fucking Survivor Series 92. Womp, womp, womp. Yeah, well, fuck you. That was pretty funny. How was Mean Gene Okerlund behind the scenes? He seems to be a nice, quick-witted guy who you'd like to go out and have a few beers with. Gene is an absolute, uh, lot of fun to go out and have a few beer, beers with, and he is very quick witted. Thank God for Sid justice. Uh, huh? 
Chris wants to know, was there ever any consideration here to turning Hogan heel? I have no idea. No, I mean, I probably not knowing Vince. I wasn't there guys. Michael wants to know what was it that Vince saw in flair differently than say a dusty or a Harley race or any other NWA legend to push him so quickly. It seems like a lot of those guys have to come in and quote unquote, pay their dues. Meanwhile, flair gets a mega push from the moment he comes in. I think Vince probably saw a lot of himself in Ric Flair. Uh, if Vince were to be a wrestler back in that time, he probably would have been Ric Flair. Jen says days before Shawn Michaels had one of the greatest heel turns of all time. The crowd reaction he got was mixed at best. And some people were cheering. Could anything have been done differently to capitalize on this? And what is probably the most second, most important pay-per-view of the year. Most of the crowd didn't even seem to be aware of the turn at the time. <laughs> yeah, do it earlier, but you know, that that's what you do. I mean, it, you bite that bullet and move on. Ryan wants to know who would have been Bruce's pick to win the rumble. Ric Flair. Joe says, got any good Renee Goulet stories? Seems like he was there forever. Renee Goulet. I think the funniest one is when we were doing doink the clown and Renee, we had doink the clown up in the stands before we even knew he was who he was. And the kids kind of all got around doink and doink had fallen down the stairs around all these kids. And Renee had a radio and all we heard in his French accent was the clown is down. The clown is down. The clown is down. And we just use that forever. Uh, hypothetically, what would it sound like if, uh, Johnny Ace was to do Bobby Heenan's not fair to flair? Well, it's not fair to flair. If you ask me, you know, it'd be fair is if Vince was in there and I was able to oil him up kind of like the warlord going out right now. Hogan and Savage are in the ring at the same time, but have zero physical interaction and stay completely away from each other. Do you think there was legit heat here by this point? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think there was at this point at all. At least not that I knew of. Anthony wants to know how did Titan time work in the early years of the rumble when you were just using an arena scoreboard clock to count down? Well, we didn't just use an arena scoreboard clock to count down. The only time that the arena scoreboard clock would come up is when there was 10 seconds left. And we decided when the 10 seconds was left. Eric, so it could be 90 seconds, two minutes, whatever we wanted. Eric says, I know you get this question a lot, but why didn't you guys put the title on Virgil? Well, you know, I, I have to go back and change my answer. Uh, the person I would have put over in the Royal rumble, still Ric Flair. Aaron wants to know, hypothetically, what might it sound like if Roddy Piper saying with my baby tonight, ha, oh, spend my days working hard on the goal fella. Kind of like Bill Shatner doing the, some of those songs. Better manager, Mr. Fuji or Jimmy Hart. Different. They're just different. They're both great. Lou has a great question here. Why didn't triple H win this rumble? You know, I'm beginning to wonder that myself. Uh, Chris writes rumor and innuendo says the Hogan freaked out at Vince backstage after the show. Did you ever hear about that? For what? I don't know. So you didn't I don't either. It? Okay. Um, 
David wants to know what did people think when Flair said the WWF title was the only title in wrestling that mattered? Because it is. There you go. Michael says Rick Flair watched this with Conrad on the old Flair podcast and said jokingly when Greg Valentine got into the match, okay, everybody's going to get potatoed now. Out of all the guys in the Rumble, who was most notorious for being stiff in the ring? <laughs> wow, that's that's a lot of guys. Um, Valentine would be up there. Hercules, Duggan could be a little little snug sometimes because he's blind, but not out of maliciousness. Um, but there's a spot in there when you watch Valentine and Flair in the corner with the chops, where Flair finally says enough with the chops and just turns and gets away from him. We're down to four. Now we've got Sid working with uh, macho man in one corner and on the far side, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, arguably the top four. And there with a high knee to the back of Sid, it pushes macho man over the top. And now Flair's back to work with Hogan. We're down to three. The big three and see, and again, subliminal message there with Savage being dumped out by flair. So you can get to WrestleMania. Um, don't know if that's what they wanted, but Hey, it worked. Sid just watching as Hogan puts the boots to flair comes in behind him, throws Hogan out and look at the crowd and the crowd pops. They go banana. Everybody thought for sure Hogan's winning this and Hogan's world champ, but it doesn't happen. Sid talking a little smack to him. Which people liked, and I, again, it was different. And to me, had Sid not been just gone as heel there with his facials and stuff, and they missed the shot of Hogan, you know, kind of grabbing there. But again, this to me is a total heel move on Hogan's part. Hundred percent. But Hogan always worked as a heel. He did. This is true. But sometimes it's it can be heel in a babyface way, and then there's just dick move. And to me, that was a dick move. How crazy is the finish here? I mean, I think it's one of the more underrated finishes. I know everybody talks about the match and the performance that Rick had, but really great stuff. When you see Piper and Martell go over and then Savage and then Hogan and then Sid, it couldn't have been done any better. And now Hogan's in chasing Ric Flair after he lost clearly give the man a minute to celebrate. You got to be fair to Flair. Well, they got to get, they got to get flair back for his promo, but also you look at Rick and his mouth is about as dry as dry can get. And he just wants water and air right now, but you don't even get the, the reunion of Bobby Heenan and flair. And now it's all, you know, again, you got a brand new champion. It's all about crowning a champion. And you got these two yahoos in the ring with Pat Patterson and sneakers trying to separate them. It does sort of diminish the the title a little bit. It shows people what the real main event's going to be right here at WrestleMania. Exactly, and, and it you know was Hogan was bigger than the championship, and now you know this whole thing was Sid, but people not letting him go at it at all, and Sid's not backing down at all. It just again, man, it made if Sid had just taken backed up a little bit, it would have helped me with Sid being a heel, but he doesn't back up, right? He stays there toe to toe, toe to toe with Hogan. So again, it's like, he's standing, come on, come on. (laughs) You know, it's who's the heel. Everything Sid's doing, uh, no matter how heelish you want to say it is, it's baby face in this situation to me. 
Brian wants to know, as far as Bruce knows, was anyone besides flair ever considered? Um, I don't really know. Maybe Sid, but I have, I have absolutely no idea who the hell they consider for this one. Paul writes, do you think it was a mistake to turn Sid heel at this point between the 91 survivor series and this show, the crowd was obviously ready to cheer someone else besides Hogan. Yeah. And I think that they, I think that it would have been the right move for Sid to be the baby face here, just at least for this run. I don't know that Sid for the long run would have been the right guy as a baby face, but right here it would have been in my opinion. Chris wants to know, do you know how much it meant in real life for Piper to win a title? Was he just playing the part here or was he excited to actually have a belt? I think Roddy appreciated the nod. But he also knew he was an attraction and didn't need a belt. Michael wants to know any good Pat Tanaka stories. I don't know when we'll talk about him again. Uh, Duke Mukasan, great bumper, but I don't really know. So let's watch here. Of course, we're not going to hear it, but it's a pretty famous presentation. We're going to see the winged Eagle championship being presented directly to Ric Flair by Jack Tunney. Mean Gene's here holding the stick. And at some point there's going to be a pretty famous moment that we get tons of questions about that. People remember maybe more than almost anything in the promo where Mean Gene yells at someone off camera and yells, put that cigarette out. Do you have any, any idea? Classic. No, I don't. And that that's, you know, the funny thing is, is I was getting all of those tweets about that. And I didn't even realize it was this promo till I went back and saw with a tear in my eye, the greatest moment of my life, the only title in the world that means you're number one. And then of course, Gene right here goes off camera and yells at someone to put that damn cigarette out. You gotta love it. And Bobby, you know, and, and to me, you know, Bobby and them, it all ends on Ric Flair and a, Woo! But absolutely classic stuff right here. And to me, this was, you know, this was Flair's greatest WWE moment. This in his retirement. One of the greatest promos of all time. You've got to go out of your way to see it. Um, I mean, it's a great match. Shyster writes in, what's the noise the fans are making during entrance? I never heard that cowbell noise before oh. or after this event. I'm not sure what makes that sound though. It's a, it's a, uh, it, it is actually a cowbell that people get and they, they rattle it at football games and they rattle it, especially down here in Texas. They were, they either have the spinner razor or they have a damn cowbell. And in the very beginning of this, it was aggravating as hell because it was all I heard. I thought it was the music, but you really hear it during the, uh, during the on cameras. And the other thing they do up in the Northeast a lot is they do the, the air horn, which is just aggravating as hell for TV. Uh, Jamie wants to know, did Bruce think we should have had a flair Hogan match at WrestleMania eight? Um, if they had done a personal issue with them and they'd actually shot an angle. Yes. Norris wants to know the Alliance of flair, perfect and Heenan was one of the greatest units in wrestling to me. What were the plans for the unit? Had they not had to be split up due to the ultimate warrior leaving? I have no idea. Barry wants to know, is there anyone better in the business than Bobby Heenan putting people over at this show? Nope. He's the best in the business. He was absolutely the best. 
Uh, Jill wants to know, can Bruce explain to me what a blumpkin is? Nope. Not going to. Uh, Jason wants to know, can you tell us any stories about Bobby traveling with Rick? <laughs> Didn't last long because Bobby's liver couldn't take it. And, uh, Bobby couldn't take being out all night, drinking every night with Rick and he had to get off the road. He just couldn't take it. Any Beverly brothers stories or natural disaster stories you can share? No, the famous, you know, natural disaster story is just earthquake and Kenji Katao in Japan where earthquake just basically totally punked him out in his home country and bitch slapped him. Well, there you go. I feel like we bitch slapped this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed this very special YouTube bonus show. We're going to keep driving, uh, our poll here and our traffic here. Because we want you guys to enjoy our YouTube channel a great deal. And we're going to be looking for more bonus shows and we will put them on a poll when we hit our next milestone. We don't have a milestone to share with you just yet. We want to see how this one does, but this has been a YouTube exclusive. So if you haven't already go like, and subscribe to our official YouTube channel, it's at youtube.com forward slash something to wrestle while you're in the mood, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. Like us on Instagram at Pritchard show, follow us on Twitter at Pritchard show. And of course, check us out Wednesdays on the WWE network for something else to wrestle. You can pick up a shirt and that's your easiest and best way to support the show at Bruce We've also got live events coming your way all over. Even into next year, we're in Arizona and don't forget we're in San Antonio. We're in Nashville. We're in Chicago. We're in New York. We're in Rochester, but most recently or coming up before you know it rather (laughs) it's Baltimore and it's Jimmy's famous seafood, the best crab cakes in the world. And maybe the most underrated appearance we've done yet, because we've got a special confirmed guest and you're going to love it, but we're also going to watch raw with you. So come hang out with us. We're going to do our thing. We're going to stick around and watch raw with you. And we might have a run in or two. You never know what's going to happen. Pick up your tickets right now. At BrucePritchard.com. Of course, we can help you save some money on your mortgage. Save with Bruce.com. You know the drill. But be sure to check us out this Friday and every Friday. It's the staple. It's the two-time. Two-time. Podcast of the year. Something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. It's Friday noon's main event. And uh, we're out of time here today. Bruce, I had a great time revisiting one of the best pay-per-views of all time. Uh, if you're a Royal Rumble match fan, if you're not, it fucking sucked. But I'm a flare mark, so I love this one. But the undercard, ugh, I did not enjoy this card overall. But the main event made it all worth it. Hopefully you checked it out and you listened to Bobby Heenan's commentary because we could have never done it justice today, could we? No, and that's what I'm saying. Look, if you go back, after you listen to this, of course, go back and listen to Bobby's commentary. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. Well, there you go. Let's wrap it up. Uh, he is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad and we are out of time. We'll see you tomorrow at something to wrestle.com at Friday noon, Eastern and every Friday at noon, Eastern at something to wrestle.com. Don't forget to like us here on YouTube, subscribe on iTunes, Google play and everybody else, man, you know, the drill, we appreciate your support. The show is free and, uh, we appreciate you guys sticking around and hanging out with us. So until next week or next time, see you later. This is dirty doc Hendricks doing the damn thing for something to wrestle. And what the hell is this music? Or never mind. 
Hey, this week, Bruce and Conrad are talking about Unforgiven 98. I know this is like 20 years ago for most of you, but for me, this actually happens 10 years in the future because I live in 1988. Dude, dude, dude. Let's talk to some of the people involved. That sounds like a good idea. The main event is The Undertaker taking on his brother, Kane. Oh, man. In an inferno match, there's no way anything could go wrong here. Here's the dead man with some chilling comments for his brother, Kane. Kane, and unforgiven, you will clearly not be forgiven. That's why it's called the, what the hell is this music? I can't concentrate with this music. Here's Paul Bearer with Kane. Oh, Undertaker, I will be there with your brother Kane. It's someone that's gonna be burned alive. It's not gonna be you. I mean, it's gonna be you. Tipping time. Now I know you're probably wondering what the fuck, so here's Vince Russo. The best part is, even if Kane actually gets burned, he's supposed to be burned, bro. He's supposed to have scars. It's perfect, bro. Hey, Bruce and Conrad, do you guys like me yet? Remember when I used to be on the actual podcast and not just on the YouTube channel? Oh, those were good times. Hey, follow ADC and check out the ADCs of wrestling. This is it for Dirty Dog Hendricks. Doot, doot, doot. I'll see you down the road. It's drop top. Tipping time. Doot, doot, doot. Doot, doot, doot. Yeah, I think I'm cute. I know I'm doot, doot, doot. I think I'm real sexy. A bad street. USI. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.